I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters, not the mortgage, not the store, not my team and all that bullshit. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm free. Welcome to the Three Men in a Retrospective podcast continuation of the Fast and Furious Retrospective. Hold on to something tight! Join Matt. But he was my friend too. You weren't anyone's friend. And Garrett. I don't know shit, man. I swear. You can smell the sound smoking when I burn out. As they put Adam in the passenger seat to carry on with this look at the car-driven franchise that they started back in 2021. I'm kill this brother and anyone else who gets in my way. How does Adam feel about the Fast and Furious saga? Look, just because you know how I ride doesn't mean you know me. Will Garrett calm his anger towards this franchise as a whole? Stay the fuck out of my way. And will Matt not show his laughter towards their misery? That's like your mini-me, man. Turn up the NOS, percolated media listeners. I can't stay on it for much longer. The Fast and Furious retrospective begins now. You ready? Ready. Fast X, released May 19th, 2023. Budget was $340 million, but a box office take as of today of $387 million, and this was directed, quote-unquote, by Louis Leterrier. Garrett, it's been a few years. We've changed sites. We've changed our third co-host. But one thing does not change, and that is there is a new Fast and Furious out in multiplexes today. What went wrong? Why is Adam here? Well, let's provide some context before we talk about this movie. This was a franchise that I had been pestering Garrett to do when we were at Bench. And Alex, for that matter, was the one who fully endorsed it as well. So I had my boss basically having my back, and Garrett was the reluctant third person. And we did that series. Uh, we, we did all them sins for this one. So we got through the series at Binge, but things being as they are, you know, we're here on a new platform, and we realized, you know, we got to keep our tradition – if there's a series we've done previously, for the most part, we'll do our best to do a new release that coincides with that series. Haven't exactly been consistent with that because we've had a couple screen movies, a couple of other big ones, but we're trying to rectify that as best we can, much to the unfortunate size and chagrin of the two other gentlemen on this podcast. Garrett, I'm going to keep you at a red light for now because the third person on the show sat out. And I don't think he fought against it when we did these with Alex. So I'm going to go to Adam, because we talked about all ten movies up to this point. Adam, on a scale of one to ten, how pissed were you when I said we're doing this? Oh, when I said we're doing it, I was like, man, that's a great idea. When you said, by the way, you're included, <laughs> I was ready to hop a plane to Tokyo and drift away from... <laughs> 
It, oh man, there's been movies in this franchise that I have looked forward to. There has been movies in this franchise that I have not looked forward to. And there has been joy that has been given and sucked out like a bad family barbecue throughout the course of the last, what feels like, 50 years of these movies. 50 years? Well, it has been over 20 since the first movie, and that is startling in and of itself. So, Garrett, it's been two years since the last movie, just about. Was that too short of a wait for you, or could you have put this off another five years before you had to watch another one of these at my behest? This snuck up on me. I got to say, it was really uncanny to check the schedule when we were recording probably about a month or so ago. We were doing, what were we doing around that time? Pirates, probably. And I looked and I saw that Fast and Furious is coming up. I'm like, what? There's another one coming out? It snuck up on me. And I'll get into details and stuff when we talk about the movie. And the making of those details snuck up on me, too. But you know what? I pride myself. And people make fun of me for this. But when a new movie comes out, I pride myself on watching the series again and then kind of prepping for it. If people want to hear me be angry for about nine and a half podcasts, <laughs> go back to binge and listen to that series because I did not we watched the movies for this. I rewatched nine and I re-listened to the podcast we did over at Binge, which I think was a pretty damn entertaining series, honestly. I had no idea this was coming up, and when I saw it was on the schedule, I was like, fuck. I thought maybe this was going to be the last one. I thought maybe that they were prepping this as as the last one. But as we'll get into, they've split this up into at least two, maybe three more. And I, I was dumbfounded. I could not believe that we were getting another one of these so quickly. So I have to draw out my checkered flag in this race because even as the person who is a fan of this series, and I said this, I believe, on the binge shows, when we got to 8, 9, and Hobbs and Shaw. I felt that Furious 7 was the perfect opportunity for this franchise to bow out. Because by that point, there was obviously the death of Paul Walker. But when you look at that movie and how it ends, everyone's in a content place as far as the characters go. Dom's with Letty. Mm -hmm. Brian's with Mia. He's got a kid. Deckard Shaw was put into prison, so that ties up him. Hobbs was squared away. Seemed like it was the right time. And I said that on the show. I was not surprised that they announced future movies, but I still, going into this movie, having seen eight Hobbs and Shaw and nine, I still feel that they have not justified the continuation of this series. And it's really felt two things. One, it is felt that it is an overabundance of characters. They just keep adding left and right. I mean, hell, we haven't even talked about this new movie yet, even in 8 and 9. And B, regardless of what you think about him as an actor, and Garrett was very critical, I think not having Brian has been something that this series has not yet been able to overcome. Is that fair to say? It's embarrassing at this point. I think it's kind of insulting that they are still trying to tell us that this guy is alive when everyone, including my mother, knows that he's not. You know, my mother doesn't pay attention to Hollywood gossip. She doesn't pay attention to any of that. But she knows that one of these actors from these films has died. I don't get the logic of trying to insult us by saying, yes, he's somewhere off camera taking care of the kids while all the other vroom vrooms are going on. 
I'm with you. I cannot believe that they have not bowed out after that seventh one. I believe I rated that movie pretty high. I wish they could have bowed out because this this is getting embarrassing at this point. Disagree completely. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's funny, and y'all are going to learn a lot about me because, yeah, my thoughts on these movies haven't been discussed. I will agree that I thought Seven was a perfect capper to the capers. You know, it was a great way to drive off into the sunset, peel off, and and let it go. However, the amount of money that Five, Six, Seven made, it, I mean, come on, these were these suddenly turned into billion dollar grosses. So I understand them going on now. With regards to Brian and Paul Walker, I'll get it out here right now. I'm ridiculously critical of Paul Walker. I think everything having to do with his untimely death and everything else was a selfish act by a father that left people behind and irresponsible. So that's just how I feel about those kind of things. So I don't, I don't canonize the guy because he died being stupid. But I do feel that it affected Vin Diesel a lot. I do feel that it affected a lot of the cast. And I think what they're doing is similar to people who have lost somebody in the family who at uh, holidays, Christmas, birthdays, things like that, still put a seat at the table and have that open chair. And I feel like that's what he's doing because I do feel like that just ripped him apart. So in the way of that, it doesn't bug me. I do think it's as subtle as a freaking NOS tank, but I, I don't get upset with it whenever they decide to do so. So one of many hot takes we'll have throughout this series. <laughs> as To reiterate, yeah. Adam was not on any of the previous shows. And to piggyback off a point that you made, I think the, the trajectory of this series really changed with the fourth one because that was the one where everybody came back at that point. It really felt like a true sequel to the first one in the way that two and three were not. And from there, they kept escalating. You know, they went from the first one is point break with cars, as we've mm-hmm. talked about, as has everyone else who's made that comparison. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a genius for saying that. You had a second one that was a discount Miami Vice. You had a yeah. third one that was entirely disconnected, but to its credit, was actually about racing. The fourth one was a revenge slash undercover cop, kind of like the first one, and then five, six, and seven were riding off the Ocean's movies mixed with Mission Impossible, and that second one, Mission Impossible, is really what they've been trying to do since, I'd say, eight, nine, and this one, but how did we get here? Even Tom Cruise hasn't gone to space, though. <laughs> mm, just wait till the next <laughs> Yeah. Well, he, broke him. <laughs> he broke the space-time continuum, though, in Top Gun Maverick, didn't he, with that jet? Yeah, you're right. So he technically has. But that was also my thing. I'm like, look, the last movie you went to space. What can you do at this point to keep this shit going? Well, here's what they did. We knew there was going to be a fast 10 after 9, which did well considering it was still the pandemic, as mm-hmm. as we talked about. But there was some, let's call, turmoil behind the scenes. A week after they started shooting... Justin Lin, who had come back to do nine after not doing seven or eight, quit. He said, reportedly, this film is not worth my mental health. Him and Vin Diesel clashed a lot on set. And by that point, he just said, I'm done. When the man, and I think this goes to show just to Adam's point how much Vin Diesel's 
grasp on this franchise has tightened since Paul Walker passed away. Lynn was the guy in the driver's seat for a lot of these movies. He's done the vast majority. And even when he reached a point where he's like, I can't deal with this anymore, my interest in this movie, as far as it being on par with some of the best in the series, started to wane a bit. This really snuck up on me. The reason why I say that is because the three of us, we have an ongoing chat. We keep each other up to date on what's going on in the films that we're reviewing and with their casting changes or whatnot. We send it to each other and we give some blurbs in our little chat and then we just kind of move on. So the fact that two weeks before this movie came out, I saw that we had another director. I don't remember any of us sending each other messages saying that Louis Luthier was the director of this or Justin Lin had left it. And so it was a real shock to me to see that he had finally reached his breaking point. And when it comes to Justin Lin, I had a lot of negative things to say about the movies. But about Justin Lin himself, I've said some pretty positive things. I think the guy, honestly, he made some, and I said it in those podcasts when I re-listened to him, it, it all came back to me. He makes beautiful garbage out of these movies, meaning they're great to look at, but God, these plots are just ridiculous. But he makes it look great. And so... When they changed directors, and I saw this, and Justin Lin was finally like, I've had it. Let's be honest here, guys. I mean, this isn't the first time Vin Diesel has driven people away from this franchise. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Like that? And from what I'm hearing, I read some articles on this. A lot of executives consider Vin Diesel to be both the best and worst thing to happen to this franchise. The best because, yes, his character brings people in, yet he is one to prance around Universal, letting everybody know that he has a billion-dollar franchise that keeps the studio system afloat, letting everybody know that he has full say on what goes on. He was so excited about the fact that he finally has a producer credit on this, and he actually has the PGS after his name on the movie. He has a stranglehold on this franchise. And for Justin Lin to finally say, you know what, that's it. You come to work, you come to the set out of shape, you come to the set late, You have made last-minute changes to the script after we have bolted it down. I am fucking done. That threw me off. And hopefully, Lin goes on to do different things. Like, he did a couple episodes of True Detective, I know. And he's he's done some other things. I hope he does something that's grandiose that is better than this. Because I've always thought he was better than it. If he's better, I think he has yet to show it. (laughs) I mean, that'll be my hot take on it. Justin Lin, he did the best ones in the series. Because he did Tokyo Drift, which is the only one I haven't seen. But he did 4, 5, 6, which are fantastic. But you know what? He didn't write them. He didn't produce them. He was the director, and that was it. This is the first time that he was the writer of it. And That's not true. Officially, that's not true, because he had a hand in most of those scripts. And he, yeah, but he doesn't he, even have part of the story by. I mean, yeah, every director reworks something to the point once they're on set. But he was hired as a director with not much to his credits before or otherwise other than this, other than, you know, the one Star Trek that killed that franchise. <laughs> Which is sad because it's the best of the three by far. Yeah, and I agree and with I that. And I'm not disputing yeah. that one at all. But, you know, for him doing the movies that I love best in this thing, you know why I didn't care that he left this project? Was because of Fast 9. Fast 9 makes Too Fast, Too Furious look like freaking Fast 5. That's how bad Fast 9 is. Fast 9 is pretty terrible, but as somebody who has been on these sets, a director does have a lot of say as to what happens as far as script-wise. And towards the few last few, he did make a lot of changes to those scripts, and he doesn't have credit 
But he did do a lot of the script writing of this. They would sit in a room and they would brainstorm and they would go over things and things and things that would happen here. But I will go with you on this, Adam. The things that he did, I came to a conclusion that this is what this series thrives on. It thrives on terrible, ridiculous plot points because of how great the action is. But to say that we're going to have so many characters come back here, we're going to have so many characters jump sides that make zero sense. Fucking Charlie Theron put a bullet in the woman who was married to Dom in the, <laughs> a couple movies ago. And here she is. It makes zero sense. And this is a series that thrives on it. And Justin Lin was a spearhead of that. And so, Matt, I know you're going to get to the new director here in a bit, but I just want to say that I think Justin Lin had more to do with those few films. And yes, Fast Five is, is included in that, which is almost universally praised as the best of the series, although I would say Seven's probably above it. He had a lot to do with all of those, including Seven. I think he had a producer credit on that as well. He did. And I think part of the reason why he didn't do Seven was because of the Paul Walker situation. Yeah. And I got to say, too, one more thing. I think the whole director soap opera that went on in this film it did one thing for me boys it gave me a shit ton of respect for james wan because he jumped in on fast seven on a film where he lost the one of the main stars he had these egos going on he had the rock on that set with vin diesel we know how that turned out and he had all these stars in this one set and you didn't hear stories like this come out at all and I think that says a lot about James Wan's talent. The fact that he hasn't come back after Justin Lin left, because I know they asked him, and he said, thanks, but no thanks, is probably due to its main star. Wan was asked to come back to do this one, but he was still doing work on the second Aquaman movie. Yeah, those are taking him four years of peace to get done. <laughs> well, it helps that he's, to make a water pun, he's working on a movie that is drowning because it's going to be irrelevant in a couple years. But speaking of irrelevancy, yeah. they hired the guy who made the Marvel movie that nobody acknowledges as part of the MCU. <laughs> Which is one of the best ones that are out there. Oh, well, we'll get to it. Brick. We'll get to it. And for the record, I think Fast 8 is the worst in this series. I think that one's almost unwatchable. Uh, it's pretty bad. But I've only seen 9 the one time, and I'm scared to go back to it because I know I'm not going to like it as much. It is terrible. I love that they're trying to tell us that John Cena and Vin Diesel are brothers. Oh my it's like, god! That, of it, all the plot uh, points, that is the one that stuck out to me. And then the whole Vin Diesel coming back to life at the end of it and doing this whole rise from the dead bullshit. I mean, it is a terrible, terrible movie. You know, look, and I was excited to go to it because it was like the end of the pandemic. And I was like, let's go. Let's go to a theater. I remember going with my girlfriend at the time and we went and I was so excited. And then like, oh boy, did the fucking wind go out of those sails. <laughs> yeah, and... Look, Louis Leteria was brought in, and I had no – in my interest, Fuel Tank still stayed on empty because I think he is he, – he's like the diet version of a workman's director. I look at his movies. Hulk is one of those things we'll talk about sometime down the line. His Clash of the Titans movie is horrendous. Oh, business. Uh, now you see me is fine until he has to tell a story. And the plot twist makes no sense. So, he also did Transporter 2. He didn't even do Transporter 1. Little known fact, though, Leterrier was a fan of this franchise since the first one because him and Jason Statham went to go see The Fast and the Furious while on break from filming The Transporter. 
Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> if you believe what he says, because I, I think people, there's some revisionist history about how much people like this series, saying that they loved it from the beginning because the first one got mixed reviews and wasn't exactly, I wouldn't say beloved. I mean, it's got a very devoted fan base, which is why we're here 20 plus goddamn years later. But the director choice did nothing for me. The trailers did nothing for me. I felt like I had hit a point where the series had sort of uh, jumping the shark is being kind. They jumped over the goddamn moon, and I couldn't bring mm. myself to get excited as someone who really you were the fan, yeah. And I advocated for the series for a long time, but I think there there is a huge shift. You know, it's like this franchise has gone into a whole other gear that's kind of you know left me stranded in the desert with a broken engine. Yeah, and as somebody who really hated going through those Transformers films, and we're going to get another one of those here in a couple of weeks, but Damn it. I look at this, <laughs> poor Adam, I look at this, and my nickname for it was Fast Formers More Than Streets the Eye. <laughs> like, that is that's exactly what the Fast Films are. That's all for us. Good night, folks. <laughs> I know. Thanks. I, I worked really hard on that line. There is not much difference between the ridiculousness of that series and this. So I want to ask you, Matt, what is the difference to you? Why do you gravitate to this more than you do fighting robots? Well, as far as the movies in this franchise I like, I would say the big the big things that got me were that there there was a real sense of danger in those early movies with the characters in that you look at the stunt work I'll use the first one as an example. The climax where they're jumping on the on the tractor trailer. Like that's uh-huh. actual practical stunt work. So I always felt in the action scenes there was a sense of danger. Which is something I never had with the Transformers movies. And also the Transformers are entirely computer generated. So it's kinda hard for me to get emotionally attached to them. Look, not that these movies make me cry or anything like that, but I, I think there is a in the ones that work, there is a human connection most of them abide by the logic. And I, and I said, even though I really like number seven, I think it's my favorite of the series, there is a specific demarcation line where this franchise shifted, and it's in Fast 6 when Dom jumps across the fucking highway, catches oh. Letty in midair, and falls on the car. That is the moment where these really shifted into borderline superhero movies. And now this takes place mm. in a world where everybody is invulnerable, everybody is bulletproof, uh, and everybody's got plot armor that is made out of adamantium. And that is a big complaint I had on those podcasts was the fact that there are no stakes in this action. It's beautiful to look at, but you know that Charlie Theron or Michelle Rodriguez are going to die, but yet they're going to come back anyway. Well, all right. You, you hit on the number one. I think this is the number one thing. I didn't want to say it yet because it ties into this movie. As these movies have gone on, they have retroactively made death meaningless yeah. because they have brought so many people back, including in this movie, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what works about the earlier movies. I praise them for actually killing off their side characters. They killed off Han. They killed off Vince in the fifth one. They killed Jesse in the first movie, and he was like an actual likable character. Uh, they killed off Giselle in six. So oh, even though the God. main characters weren't offed, there was a certain amount of, okay... I know that not everyone can make it until these writers say, it's in my contract, I have one more movie, so you have to bring me back. And my big question was, will they make the three 
that Vin Diesel's saying, which I think Vin Diesel speaks out of his ass half the time, but he's saying they have a trilogy planned to end this thing with this being the first of it. But this movie cost $340 million. That is the eighth most expensive film of all time. They've hit Avengers level of budget. Yeah. A hundred million of that went straight to its cast with 20 of it going to Vin himself. Well, you look so, at how big this cast is at this point. It makes sense that there's a hundred million dollars. And fuck, they keep adding people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You have Oscar winners. You have people who have big contracts. You have a hell of a lot of people from fucking comic book franchises in this thing. Their contracts are not small. So it baffles me that they continue to say we're going to make a trilogy, yet they keep bringing people back. They say they're going to make a trilogy, and I think if this was doing bigger business than it is, I think that there would be no doubt. Because even when this literally gets off the starting line, you normally get 65 to 75% international. And that's how you have some of these that are earning 1.2, 1.3, 1.7 billion dollars, which is ridiculous. But this one doesn't seem that it's going to get anywhere near that. And I do think, I mean, think about it though, 340, purportedly that's an all-in budget, which means only 700 to clear. That's not a lot for this franchise. But I do think that if it doesn't do triple its budget, maybe quadruple, I don't think Universal's going to sign off on a trilogy. However, and you both have kind of hit on it, this franchise is Universal's superhero franchise. Marvel's got theirs. DC has theirs. This and these last few movies, this is a multiverse Avengers Endgame retroactive retconning type of universe Mm -hmm. that is now gone on. This one's Infinity War because it ends on a cliffhanger. True. I mean, but this franchise, after three, this franchise meant so little to Universal that they gave Vin Diesel the entire rights to a separate franchise just to have him show up for a cameo. And in the, what, 16, 17 years since then, without this, if this had not gone on the last five years, six years that it has, I think Universal would have been bought by somebody. Well, it was bought by Comcast, but I think it would have been gobbled up in one of the Fox mergers or something else at this point. So as much as these movies are what they are, I do think they're keeping Universal humming, sadly. Yeah, and and I think also questioning why is this one not making as much? I, I think there's a couple factors. You know, we're still coming out of a time where people are kind of hesitant to go back to a theater. But the big one also is when you look at the ones when they start like from four on, when they started to make more money. The fourth one was sold on, we got the gang back together. Fifth mm-hmm. one, you add The Rock at the height of his powers when he was really starting to become a bona fide movie star. Mm-hmm. Six built off that. Seven made a lot of money because of the Paul Walker factor. Uh, I think that's un- undisputable. And Jason Statham got people talking. There was a good escalation, and then it kind of capped up with eight. Eight was, the, I think, the bubble burst with eight, both on the set and with a certain amount of interest. Mm-hmm. But I don't think this franchise is going to end in the official sense. It's going to go the way of The Walking Dead. There will be an official ending in the main series, and you're going to get a shitload of spinoffs. We've already seen that uh, with Hobbs and Shaw, but I think you're going to get some more uh, stuff in a similar vein. Yeah, this one's setting it up. God, speaking of setup, if you are new to these new release shows on the site, we do full spoiler in-depth discussions. So if you have not seen Fast X, uh, you can listen at your own discretion. But I must warn you, not only... For the sake of spoilers, but your brain could possibly melt from the, <laughs> for the amount of stuff we're going to talk about for the next hour, maybe hour plus. 
I can't believe you're giving a disclaimer before Fast 10. Fast 10 in, folks. Before you get to the quote-unquote plot of this movie, Matt, let's, let's talk about our theatrical experiences. I went the Monday after it came out, maybe a quarter full theater. I went to full Dol- Dolby Atmos. People that know me know that I work nights. So, like, I'm already, like, done by midday. But that particular day was the only day we could go. I call these shoulder movies. Like, if I tell Jen, Jen, do you want to go to a movie with me? And then I, I, when I told her it was this, she passed me on the shoulder. She goes, have fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I called a buddy from work. He said, yeah, let's go. Now, disclaimer, this guy, he has not seen any of these movies. The only thing he has seen of it was he was at an Applebee's, and he saw the scene of those cars coming out of a plane. And that was the one thing he knew about this franchise. So that was my theatrical experience. Adam, how was yours, sir? Did you take the wifey? Nope. It was kind of the same thing. She's like, yeah, go have fun with that. And I went, come on, <laughs> let's watch the trailer. And she went, huh, bro, Jason Momoa. Still, go have fun with that. <laughs> Which is funny because she's like, Aquaman's coming out, right? And like, yeah, she goes, okay, I'll see it when he's wet. <laughs> oh, jeez. So this was, I didn't see it opening weekend. I worked <laughs> two straight weeks at work without a day off. Um, now that I'm out of training and, and doing my thing. So I went after work on Thursday night. Uh, it was like a 9.15 showing. Rush there from work. I com- had completely forgot that that was also preview night for The Little Mermaid. <laughs> oh. So, oh boy. <laughs> but when I had bought my tickets the night before, and I shared with you guys, it was going to be a private screening. <laughs> I was the only one that had bought tickets. Well, by the time that I got into the theater, there was about eight people in there. And four of them were sitting across where I had picked my reserved seat. So, uh, <laughs> what's this live in hell? Like, literally, I'm at, I'm at row K, and it only goes one higher. And they just decided to sit. Then I'm always off to the side a little bit. I want my privacy. And of the one seat, these four were sitting in it and the three beside. Didn't start me off on the right foot. So I went about three-quarters of the way down because I was not seeing it in IMAX or Dolby because that was being reserved for Ariel. So that way I could put my feet up, lean back a little bit, and get a bigger experience. But a week into it, a little less than two weeks from release date, I saw this with a jam-packed crowd of eight other people. (laughs) I'm curious to hear Goudreau's experience because he's the one who wanted to get into these. What? What was your theatrical experience like, Matt? I guess it's got to be more popular on the East Coast because my theater was packed. Granted, I went on a prime the weekend that came out. Yeah. Because I I go see these movies at my earliest chance because I like watching other people lose their minds at the the dumb shit they're watching. Especially, you can point out the ones, like either the girlfriends who have no idea what's happening or 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 (laughs) or the guys who are just here. Because they feel obligated, like because this this franchise has what I call the Dexter parable, where I have already put so much time into this that I just need to see how it ends. Because <laughs> uh, anyone who watched that show, it is the prime example of starting out great, peaked, and then it was like torture having to get to the finish line. Speaking of torture, and for the record, uh, Laura, just so you know, if you're listening to this podcast, Jason Momoa gets knocked off a bridge and submerged in water in the opening scene of this movie, so you would have gotten your wish. all right well the plot here quote unquote oh here we go all right used (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't know. Between the words plot and family, uh, you'll die of alcohol poisoning. Uh, I cannot believe we're 35 minutes into this thing and we're finally getting to the plot. Well, short as it is, this movie is a mostly a direct sequel to the fifth one because yeah. the entire opening is archival footage of the big bank heist from the fifth movie. I mean, they use footage. You know, they show Paul Walker. They show them dragging the safe around. But they add a little twist where now there was an unseen son of Reyes, who is the villain in the fifth one, and it's Aquaman himself, Jason Momoa, who's the big villain of this movie. So I'll say this. You would not know about his performance based on this opening scene because he's nothing like he is for the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. They set you up to think he is just going to do his typical tough guy, say a few words, his Vin Diesel impression. But even by this point, this is the 10th movie. We're going back to the fifth one now? I was going to ask you about that because we said in the preamble here that the fifth one is the most popular of the series. I thought it was a good idea to remind people of the best entry in the franchise. Now, sticking this character in and saying it's his son, well, how many times are they going to do that is my question. But I didn't think this was a bad idea. I actually kind of like the fact that he's just kind of off camera while his dad is doing his thing and ends up dying as a result of this. But I thought it was kind of cool the way they mixed the archival footage and put it together. And I got to say, I'll watch that safe scene any chance I could get. So I thought this was kind of cool. If you were going to go back to it, smart way to do so. Uh, I think there's more to garner from this one because you already mined Fast and the Furious 6 with Jason Statham coming back for revenge over his brother, which seems to be like one of three villains that actually have stayed dead in this. One of the ones with no, his actual... Brother, his brother's not dead. Owen was in... Eight. Yeah. He helped rescue yeah. Tom's baby. Oh, he's coming back then. He's one of the few that have actually had charisma. I like Luke Evans a lot. So as much as it was... I don't know. It's I think it's trying to garner the goodwill of fans back when they knew that 8 and 9 kind of pushed them off the proverbial cliff without a crane to hook their car to. Or magnets. Yeah, and you know what? They're trying to make it 2011 when Jason Momoa is walking out in a man bun. <laughs> but to Louis Letier's credit, he did come out in the press and say, how am I going to top going to space? I'm not going to. So his goal was to, quote-unquote, ground this series again. <laughs> And you know what? I'm going to say for the most part, he succeeds. And I think it starts here. I think this was the peak of the series for a lot of people was this movie, was uh, Fast Five. And to remind people of this and to show that escalation with a few action scenes we'll talk about later, I thought he did a pretty good job of that. I thought the action in this movie blew. Really? I found, you know, there's a set piece coming up later on that was just a glorified episode, a glorified minigame from Mario Kart that really got on my nerves. Because I'm at the point where it's like, okay, what else can you do? You have already raised the bar, and you have set yourself up in a place where there's nothing you can do to top it. And we've seen far better car chases, and I expect progression through each movie. I shouldn't, shouldn't get sloppy seconds or sloppy tenths, whatever you want to call this. But getting ahead of ourselves, they reveal that Ray's son was in the car, and he gets knocked off the bridge, never to be seen for 10 years, because this is one of those movies that has the why now problem of the, or the why now question of the villain enacting their super plan. But before we get there, where do we start? Well, we start with <laughs> Daddy Dom himself and his kid doing donuts in a parking lot. 
We tell them about feeling the car, and I thought, Garrett, this is where they were going to reveal that he was driving Bumblebee, and this was going to be the crossover. That would be the way to go. Look, Question. if Optimus Prime landed and assisted in this big battle, it would be the fifth most improbable thing to happen in this franchise. <laughs> You're not kidding. Question, Matt. How old is this kid? <laughs> I would guess like seven, seven, eight. Okay, because he was just tossed around in, what, a movie or two ago eight. by Jason Statham? Yeah, he's a baby in eight. Yeah, so this kind of threw me off. We got little B here, as they call him, and I, I thought maybe he might have been 10 or 11, but maybe that's just too too old. It was just weird see, seeing this kid, like, this is how he's starting off. And you know what the first thing I thought of was, ah, they're setting up a, the spinoff of the younger kids. You know, because these people, these actors are a little long in the tooth at this point. This was 20 years that they've been going on here. So I think they're kind of starting to set up what we're going to be getting probably in the next few years, maybe a spinoff series on Paramount Plus or something like that. It'll be TNG, Fast and Furious, The Next Generation. For the record, Paramount or Universal, if you're listening, please don't take that as a ringing endorsement. No. And people, if you have, if you, have you know, a car out doing dangerous donuts in a parking lot, please call because that blocks, uh, blocks access, blocks roadways, blocks freeways, <laughs> and is unacceptable. Have you come out of a theater at night when one of these movies is done, Adam? Nobody obeys the fucking oh, traffic laws oh, in this like, series, like this, which is a big reason big reason why I hate this fucking series. Oh, this franchise will give you uh, the case of the lead foot when you're driving home, no matter how yeah. you feel about these movies. like you, you find yourself driving a lot faster, and if you drive a stick like I do, you shift far more than you usually do. Oh, the car. That's right. Yeah, remember when this franchise was about cars? <laughs> now it's about family, the gang's all here, and half of them look like they would rather be anywhere else. Specifically, Ludacris. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he definitely does. Rita Marino, we haven't seen her, right? Like, this is the first oh, time we... This is the first time we've seen her, and she is like a living legend. Like, she was in West yeah. Story. Like, well, yeah, West Side Story. Yeah. Great pull. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But, but I think this goes the hell to... Out of me. I think it goes to what Vin Diesel is going for here, where he's trying to get legitimacy here. He came out when Fast 7 was making the round saying, this is going to win an Oscar. I think he wants so bad for this series to win an Oscars that he's bringing these people who are respected between this woman and Helen Mirren and Brie Larson. He wants respectability. Charlize Theron. He wants respectability associated with this franchise. I agree. I think this is a good poll. And you know what? I'm going to say, with the exception of Family, which is uttered, I read, 56 times in this movie. <laughs> I don't think this is a bad scene. The only thing that really threw me off was when she mentions Brian, and we were looking at pictures of Brian, and we're thinking, oh, okay, here's when they say he's finally dead. And they don't go that route, of course. We're going to keep saying that he's alive. And I said my piece on that earlier in the podcast. The only reason Jordana Brewster is in these movies now is to reassure us that Brian is okay. That's true. Yep. And the other thing was, she wasn't even in the original script. This was producer Vin coming in saying, we're not doing one of these movies without Jordana. So they inserted a couple scenes with her, and her being here is, I mean, it, it, it serves no purpose, really, just to say, oh, Jordana from the first film is here. Yeah, but it, again, it, it makes, the absence of Brian also hinders her character, because if, as we find out, Reyes is coming for blood and he's coming for everybody... But because Brian is no longer a character, Mia is going to be off the table, basically. 
Uh, she gets attacked in this movie, but mm-hmm. she basically goes into hiding, and I don't think we're going to see her again. Really? The only way they will is if they get Paul Walker's brother to play Brian for a scene. Yep. Hmm. I think that's the only way, which honestly, I was against that for the longest time, but if you keep having to cut these corners, just bite the bullet and do it. I thought for sure we were going to get a CGI version, a.k.a. Grand Moff Tarkin, which we're going to talk about, a.k.a. Carrie Fisher, of Paul Walker, one of the brothers with a CGI image of Paul Walker on him for one scene where he's getting out of a car or he's headed to dinner or he's drinking a Corona, whatever. Fortunately, they haven't gone that route yet. They did get permission from his family again to do what they do with him in this. But I just, again, I just think it's insulting to keep telling us that this guy's still alive. And his daughter has a cameo with this movie. Yeah, she has one cameo. Uh But while they're talking about family, because what else do you do in this franchise? We find out that, all right, and you know, I talk about the Transformers being the fifth most improbable thing. Fourth on that list would be trusting Roman to lead any sort of mission. <laughs> nobody to the film's nobody cre- questioned this. Nobody <laughs> thought this was a bad idea. Well, Vin does say, you know, Dom does say, he's like, and by the way, Vin Diesel, in the t- 20 years that since, that since that first movie came out, his acting has gotten no better. It's he is still worse. that... It's gotten, like, yeah. He is so bad in this movie, it, it, Terrible. it's kind of baffling. One performance outdoes it as far as badness goes, but he is so stoic. And I get that's part of his quote-unquote charm. And I get that, you know, me and Adam, me and you, we grew up on Stallone. We grew up on Arnold. All of those guys had that same problem, too, in a lot of people's minds. But we didn't care because we loved the action in those films. And Vin Diesel is trying to do that as well. And he is awful in this movie. Just terrible. But Dom says that, I want to just throw him a bone. Like pretty much saying, you know, yeah, I gave him permission to do it. Daddy Dom, as was called in that previous series that we did, Matt, he is giving Roman the permission to run this mission. Well, before we get to Rome, this franchise becomes the Fast and the Furiosa because Cypher shows up at their doorstep, leading out, saying that, you, you know, you got to hear what I have to say. So then they cut to Jason Momoa's character of Dante. Look, these movies have become superhero movies. He is the Joker. Um, oh, my God. He's Jack Nicholson's Joker. No, he's Heath Ledger. Like, he's a mix of... No, the- no, no. No, when he's going around with those dead bodies, and he's... Oh, God. And- well, that is straight out of a comp book. That scene mm-hmm. later on does not fit this franchise. But this is if we're gonna- from The Dark Knight, where he shows up, give me all your henchmen. Or, or I guess it's 89, because he takes over Talon. Yeah. But he turns all of Cypher's men against her. And again, we have to prove in these movies that everyone is a kung fu master because Cypher could take them all out no problem. Better haircut this time. <sighs> Fine. Well, but... it took three movies. It's about damn time yeah, they got that them... bowl cut off. Yeah, well, <laughs> no he, shit. he had uh, John Travolta's hair from Battlefield Earth. Uh, the ninth, yeah, the ninth <laughs> yeah. one, he had Mo Howard's hair, and this one they actually found something presentable. So Jason Momoa was the big, I guess you'd call it the big get for this movie because Aquaman made a billion dollars. He's a big name. Hmm. How do we feel about him in this movie? Adam, okay. I've been doing a lot of talking here. You go ahead. Yep, I'm going to go. One, the problem I think they have is they kind of sold this on the back of Jason Momoa brings something different he's never done before. Jason Momoa brings a presence. Jason Momoa is acting against type. Jason Momoa this, 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 this. While I like some of what he does, I don't think he is directed from the beginning to the end of this. I think there's a camera put in front of him and he goes. And I'm going to say this. Acting effeminate 
does not a performance make? And when that is like his only thing is that he's going to act effeminate, not scary, there's some scenes of him I think are amazing. And there's some I think are so inconsistent, and I'm like, that's a, okay, sure. I don't think he holds up to some of the other villains. I think the plot does, but I think if there was someone else doing this plot, it would actually feel scary and dangerous. But I think Jason Momoa can't carry a movie. You know why Aquaman did what it did? Because it looked amazing. Amber Heard was as important to that movie as Jason Momoa was. So he's entertaining in this movie, but I am partially offended by his just, I'm going to act effeminate. And that's what makes me fun. Yay! I love Jason Momoa in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing. See, we have had villain after villain in this movie. And I'm putting Charlize in this. because I And I said this when she was the main villain of Part 8. They have all been stoic. They have all been trying to outdo Vin Diesel as far as let's be as wooden as we can and we're going to be as self-serious and we're going to get this plot on. I think the fact that this guy shows up in Hawaiian shirts, he is roaming around, he gets the Jesus pose when he blows up a whole fucking city. I think that adds a lot of dimension and I enjoy him in this. And the thing about Jason Momoa, it's weird because despite the fact that, yes, Aquaman made a shit ton of money, they have not known what to do with Jason Momoa. Mm -mm. He was in Game of Thrones as a stoic fucking asshole. For one season, he, let's remember. For like, one season, he wasn't yeah, in there but long. that was he wasn't in there long, and that was after a complete flop of a Conan remake, which I know Matt hopes we get to eventually. Well, I wanted to talk about the first Conan movie. I could okay. I could, well, we we'll have to get to it though. <laughs> we'll have to talk about it if we get to it. But yeah, he was in Game of Thrones for one season. Agreed, and then he did Aquaman, which is the most. Stupid, wooden fucking character in the DC universe. And we said that when we did Batman you, v Superman. You said that. You said that. I think Adam and I both liked him. Still fun movie. I got to say, I, I enjoy Aquaman for what it is. I just, Jason Momoa is as limited as Vin Diesel, I think, when it comes to acting. And by the way, we have two Aquaman in this, but we'll get to yes, him later. Yes, we do. Oh, I was waiting Wait, for that. what? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we do. We'll get, we'll get to it. But here's oh, the thing. Here's the thing right. about... Oh. Yep. Yeah. Jason Momoa is interesting to me because they haven't known what to do with him. And I think the fact that he comes here and he's like, look, I'm going to be the anti-Vin Diesel. I'm going to be flamboyant. I want to chew every single bit of scenery I'm in. And yes, I am a cross between Jack Nicholson's Joker and Tommy Lee Jones' Two-Face, but yet he is entertaining in this, and I enjoy him as a villain. See, to me, I get that. You know what I see him as? I see him as Jared Leto's Joker, but without ever having the presence to actually get in your face and feel like he's scary. He's from a distance, always. He's just out there acting the way that he is. And I would just love once or twice for him to, you know, as opposed to, oh, yay, look at me, wee, to just grab somebody up and be like, I'm going to fucking kill you, and then go off and do and then go off and do his thing. He doesn't need to do it the whole time, but I never believed these 10 years of everything he went through and, and the mental facilities and everything else. He doesn't come across as crazy. He doesn't come across as – the story tells me he does. The lines are – the script says he's all these things, but Momoa doesn't. 
But here's the thing. The last time somebody came sauntering in and stole some scenes from Vin Diesel, look what happened. A huge feud broke out because Vin Diesel started getting butthurt that this guy was getting more charisma. I'm talking about The Rock, obviously. Starting to get more press than the actual star of the film is. You cannot be somebody who makes Vin Diesel looks, look bad. Yeah, but, you have to be something different. But the, the Rock is so full of himself that he demands every franchise kowtows to him, and instead he kills every franchise that he thinks he reinvigorates. Look at G.I. Joe. Look at the DC Universe. Look, I mean, he just he thinks he's everything, and instead he literally killed. He couldn't do okay. a spinoff with the two most popular side characters. That thing almost buried this entire franchise. But when he was introduced in the fifth one, it was he was the best part. He was the best part of that movie. He the charisma he brought great. was great. Absolutely. Yeah. And then he mm-hmm. thought that he was more. Yeah, I, I agree with you. He, he, you know, well, I will say, you know, with Vin Diesel, he does believe in everybody I brought into this is going to stay with. I do think he thinks of these films as a family. I think he values loyalty too. Like he's literally the Dom father, where it's you pledge your allegiance to me as long as you stay in your lane, you will, <laughs> you know, you will thrive <laughs> on this. All right, so so the Jason Momoa thing. Yeah, yeah, break the tie here, Matt, because me and Adam have been going at it for about 10 minutes about this. So, so I'll throw this out. He's a better Joker than Joaquin Phoenix. I'll throw that out there first and foremost. Oh. I saw, speaking of DC villains, he reminded me of Ewan McGregor in Birds of Prey. But I was surprised. I thought he was entertaining. I, I think the problem is, though, he's committed, but because he's also got the Statham problem where he disappears for chunks of the movie. But I think they learned a lesson. Part of why the certain diehard movies are better praised than others is because the villains are memorable. And I think it's about time that, you know, these movies have become superhero movies. We have a full-fledged, megalomaniacal supervillain. I was pleasantly surprised because I, I had heard people saying he was going to be very effeminate. And I was thinking, oh, God, it's going to be bordering too much on camp. But I think he's sort of the thing that keeps this movie from being so dour that they've forgotten. Because there's another character in this movie they use entirely for comic relief. But I'll say this much about Jason Momoa, and just to kind of brush against what Adam was saying. I like what he's doing here, but he's not doing anything different. He's bringing in charisma. He's bringing something that is fun to watch for me, but it's nothing that we haven't seen before. And I'm not saying he's not fun. Like, I think what he's doing has fun to it. I just want to see if he's this deranged, broken character. I want to see both sides of that broken person. It's like Tommy Lee Jones. You get half of it. You don't get the you don't get yeah. the dark. It's, yeah, it's the yeah, one exactly. face, the two face. Yeah. And, well, it's also accentuated by they sort of do the Jack Napier thing where he has like psychotic episodes and uh, mm-hmm. it, like they pull out his freaking dossier at one point. Although we should talk about the agency is run by morons because oh. it, we, as we find out, the mission that Roman is being sent on was not orchestrated by the agency. Two reasons. One, Kurt Russell has said, I'm not coming back. And second of all... Has he come out and said that? He hasn't come out and said it, but there was no reason why he could not have still been here, considering everyone yeah, else I, is here. I was wondering about that. And they, they say he's gone underground, and why do we keep giving Scott Eastwood second chances? I did think that was him at first. He looked so different that it took me mm-hmm. a minute to realize that was actually Scott Eastwood. Oh, yeah, yeah we, we, we this guy this guy talk about a lack of charisma. I mean, nobody likes Scott Eastwood, and yet again, family, we got to bring him here. <laughs> it was so weird seeing him here. 
We get the words that they've been doing. These last couple films have all been for the agency. Like, I remember Mr. Nobody showing up once, and if Kurt Russell just brings a level of cool that so many others don't. And then I remember, like, once saying, hey, we need your help to get this thing. Were all these other films, like, maybe I'm just not remembering, were they literally working for the agency, 789? Seven to a point, because they were getting the God's eye for them. But even then, that was more of a partnership where it's like, you get it for us, we'll give it to you to track down Shaw. Yeah. I couldn't tell you what the fuck 8 and 9 were about. <laughs> like, I don't think the agency played a factor in 9. I feel, I, like I, I, need a, I feel like I need an animated series of Fast Furious and the agency going to work together. You know what? I just rewatched 9 a, a week a week ago, and I still couldn't tell you what what it was about. Space. <laughs> Wait, no, Kurt Russell is nice. in 9. He is a nine because there's that flash. He has the Skype thing going on in that yeah, one. Yeah, he's got. Remember, yeah, um, he Skyped his performance in literally. <laughs> yeah, it's like Leonard Nimoy in Star Trek Into Darkness, where he's like, "I'm, I'm just skyping this time." Yeah, but yeah, so th- that's kind of a you know, this franchise has also forgotten its previous history. Even they can't keep it consistent anymore because it's almost like they're insinuating that they were behind the bank heist in the fifth one, which was clearly not the case. Mm-hmm. We cut to Rome. And we get Follow the Bouncing Ball for 15 minutes, where, look, this shit is literally Batman 1966, uh, mixed with Mario Kart. And the Joker, he is the Joker in this scene. I have a giant bomb, it's going to blow up the Vatican, and I'm going to stand on this mountaintop and pose after I get off my motorcycle and tease Letty about, come get me. Uh, Oh, yeah. And when she flips that motorcycle over that fucking, uh, I don't know if like a, a pipe comes down and she perfectly lands. Again, I have to reinforce that because these characters I know now are bulletproof, I feel like this is just wasting time and it's nowhere near as intricate or well-constructed as previous action scenes. I like him and Letty going toe-to-toe a lot. Maybe it's just their banter back and forth, even though they're not together. But him on that motorcycle, her on that motorcycle, that feel like that energized me up. Them just trash-talking back and forth. Like, I think he is fun and good there. Maybe because I feel like he's actually talking to somebody. This part of Rome, I think, is pretty dang good. Uh, I think Michelle Rodriguez, I think, is actually very good in this movie, but I'm a fan of hers in general. Once we get to... The flaming opening to Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> oh shit! Oh yeah, I, I, this isn't the bouncing boulder I want to see. And they change the frame rate. They speed it up at certain scenes, and there is nothing that'll take me out. Like when Vin starts driving down the stairs, then realizing they are speeding up a film. I cannot believe I am on the line with a fan of the series, and I am going to appraise this scene more than the actual fan of this. Let me ask you, Matt, is this too ridiculous for you? Has this franchise gone too ridiculous? Because, like I said in the beginning of this, it thrives on the ridiculous plots. It thrives on bringing people back from the dead. It thrives on people saying how stupid it is, yet... The action it puts on screen gets people talking about how great the action is. Are you, you are not liking this? This is too ridiculous for you. It's not that it's too ridiculous. It's, I think the franchise had become too ridiculous. Eight is the movie that turned me from a super fan to just a casual viewer, where I look at those early movies, all the, like, like I alluded to earlier, all the big set pieces. Yeah, they're pretty ridiculous. Like you look in seven, they drop cars out of a fucking plane. But I like that, you know, that scene in particular. 
Brian gets his ass kicked by Tony Jaa. He's never Superman. So there was there was that character to keep it grounded. And also, as I alluded to earlier, with these movies getting bigger, I don't feel like this is bigger. Yeah, it's Follow the Bouncing Ball, and I'm like, I know they're not going to kill anybody off here, because they brought so many people back from the dead, mm-hmm. which is also something this franchise did not start out doing. There is that huge shift that I keep talking about to where... I feel like this has become an entirely separate franchise for me. And yeah, 5, 6, and 7 are considerably more heightened. But I also liked that Dom was not 100% the focal point in those movies. And I think removing Brian, removing Hobbs, and putting the spotlight solely on Dom has just reinforced that he has never been the most important character, despite what Vin Diesel thinks. I think people who have a low standard of plot and a high standard of action are going to like this scene. I like this scene. I found it to be very thrilling. I, I like the sound going on in it. Even the crane coming in and <laughs> bopping it into the water. I looked at the guy I went to this movie with, and we just both started laughing at that. Now, when the explosion happens, and we see the crater, and like I said earlier, Jason Momoa was in a Jesus pose, it's actually kind of serious to me. I look at this, and I'm like, this isn't funny. There is death and destruction going on right now. We've killed a whole bunch of people, but you're right, Matt. It's nobody who has mattered in this series, but this is something that for a split second I look, I'm like, hmm, they're actually taking something kind of serious here. But I thought the scene was rather fun. I enjoyed it. You know what it was hard for me to not think of, though, is they open the truck, you get this giant round bomb inside, and then you got Scott Eastwood, who on a tablet can go flip, 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 hey, here's how we take care of it. (laughs) That was was convenient. But it's, hey, you need to take this thing and use this to block the bomb from going off. Huh, I've seen this before. I was expecting Bane to be standing up there with the Christ (laughs) Redeemer going, so you've come to die with your family. This is the end of The Dark Knight Rises. Oh my god, there's so much bat like this this movie might might as well be in the fucking DC universe with all the Batman and DC connections in it. Well, not to mention all the fucking actors that are in it too. Yeah, I mean half this cast is being paid off by Warner Brothers. You got Aquaman, Peacemaker. Vin Diesel's ego is as big as Batman's, so What's Vin Diesel it? wants to be Lex Luthor so bad. Oh jeez. <laughs> Tyrese has been trying to be Green Lantern for as long as the Rock who was trying to be Black Adam. Now, is this, have we gotten to the point where they put that little remote control car down with the bobblehead and all <laughs> yeah, that? That's, yeah. that's during this scene. Okay, that's during this scene, yeah. I thought, I, I, laughed out I, loud. Can, I can't believe it. I was laughing at I that. I laughed out loud. Now, yeah. There's some parts of this movie that are actually funny. Whenever they actually set up a joke, because there's parts of this that feel sadly improvised and kind of pathetically improvised, like certain cameo that we'll talk about later on, where that, that whole scene just felt like they put the camera on lockdown and said go. But to compliment this scene, I like how it's punctuated, where the bomb actually goes off. People, I assume, die, although no one gets run over by that, that, by that giant bomb, surprisingly. And who shows up to uh, talk Daddy Dom off the ledge? I guess they have Helen Mirren on speed dial. She just yeah. walked off the set of Shazam 2. Yep. She, was she in that? Yeah, she's, yeah. Sure. She's, she's the main villain. And they make a family joke in that movie. They, they, they really? They yeah. literally, he says Fast and Furious by name. She basically says, Letty got arrested. Uh, you should probably go into hiding and lay low. And the team got cut off. So this is where the movie is really starting to show that there are too many fucking characters. You got Dom. You got Dante. You got Cypher and Letty. You got the B team with Ludacris and company. And they're still going to add additional characters in this movie. 
because they also cut to the agency, which is now being run by Jack Reacher and Brie Larson, because these movies are about family. She is Kurt Russell's daughter, because that makes fucking sense. Yeah, Jack Reacher, a.k.a. Aquaman from Smallville, by the way. Yep. That was the other Aquaman I was referring to. I looked at him, I'm like, God, I know that guy from somewhere. And I looked him up, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> Me and Jen just watched Smallville last year all the way through. I was like, oh my God, that is him. All right, Brie Larson. I mentioned when we did Batman Forever that they should revoke Tommy Lee Jones' Oscar for that performance, that pathetic performance. Brie Larson is somebody I have endorsed for years. I thought her performance in Room is amazing, and she deserved that Oscar. And I was excited to see that she did a few Marvel films, and I haven't watched Captain Marvel yet. We'll, we'll get to it eventually. But an interview I read with her was, it just, it really made me feel fucking old because she said she was hesitant to do it at first because of her connections to Marvel, but she really wanted to do it because, and I quote, she wanted to do something that she grew up loving. <laughs> <sighs> I think she is pathetic in this movie. I have not seen a worse performance by an Oscar-winning actor, probably since Simon Lee Jones, actually. I'll, I'll go that far. I think this is this performance is terrible. It's the worst performance of her career. It's the Anya Taylor-Joy syndrome that she did in that dumb uh, New Mutants movie she was in, where they take it for the paycheck, but there is not, no characterization going on. There's nothing where I actually care for this character. And every time she's on screen, it's like the words that are coming out of her mouth have zero fucking charisma behind them. I can't stand her in this, and I love this actress. Adam, you want to go next? I'm so happy Brie Larson is in this movie. <laughs> I was too until she fucking started talking. She brings a levity that I kind of need. I think I could see her as Mr. Nobody's daughter. I think we're going to see Mr. Nobody. But you know what? If we find out within the next two films that Dom's dad never died, I'm hanging it up, by the way, because I think Dom's dad is hanging out with Mr. Nobody this entire time. Watch. Yep. But I hate when you put that out there. <laughs> I like Brie Larson. I I like her in this role. I think this franchise has done more for getting women into some of these action roles without being dismissive than so many. And that includes Charlize trying over and over to do her own. We talked about her basically atomic blonde scene that she did at the beginning of this film. But I like Brie Larson. I like that she stands up to everybody here. I hate whatever the hell they're doing with the agency, though. Yeah. I, I feel that so many scenes in this movie were filmed in somebody's backyard in front of a green screen. Because I don't feel, that time and time and time again, I don't feel like they're acting to anybody. I feel like that with Helen Mirren. Because when they're showing her, her hand is there. You don't see her in frame with anybody else. So I don't think she ever is acting against somebody. And I think that happens time and time and time and time again. Alan Richson shows that he is amazing as Jack Reacher, which is somebody who doesn't speak and stands there and look imposing. Because this dude makes Vin Diesel look like he should have won an Oscar for every single one of these frickin' movies. And I like Alan Richson. I love Reacher. I think that series is fantastic. But this dude, I mean... Wow. I mean, he looks like Guile. He looks like they're casting frickin' the new Street Fighter reboot. He is abysmal. He can't speak. He can't act. And every time he tries, it's just, it doesn't work. I want to go to Richardson's defense here because I think what they give him is deplorable. Oh, yeah. Because they give him, they give him exposition that recaps the last five films. And who can deliver that? 
well, I don't know. But the fact that they're showing these scenes from these movies as he's talking and saying what these people came from as and what they are now is pretty stupid. I don't, and I doubt anybody could deliver it. All right. Before I get to the acting, because I have words to say about both of them, just because you call out how absurd that this franchise has become does not give you the excuse to keep doubling yeah. down on it. <laughs> yeah, you said that in Fast 8 or Fast 9, one of those reviews. That's the exact thing you said, yeah. and I completely agree with you. I think Alan Richson is confused throughout most of this movie because he shot two different scenes because in one version of the script, he was Dante's brother. Mm-hmm. And he shot a scene where that was revealed because he was not aware of whether or not that plot point was going to be kept in the movie. Oh, my God. See, this is what I mean by this script changing and why directors leave and why people leave this series is because they change it on the fucking fly and, and it makes no sense. And every goddamn time in modern movies that there is the new hotshot leader of a super powerful agency, more often than not, they are the villain. Look at Andrew Scott Inspector. It is the exact same thing. Nobody should have been surprised by the reveal in the third act of this movie. As no. far as Brie Larson goes, she is as bad here as she is as Captain Marvel. I don't know what it is, because I know she can act. I know she is a great actress. But I also don't think they give her anything in these big-budget movies to find, because she plays a character with amnesia, so you have no character to build on, because you don't know who you are. And here she is just here as a plot device, to get Letty and Cypher in the same spot. To show that he's crazy, Jason Momoa's character is talking to two corpses. <laughs> and painting his fucking toenails. <laughs> like, this is something that the Joker does. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why I made that comparison. Yep. I, I turned to my friend Alex, who I saw this with, because God knows Christian wasn't going to come with me. And he, 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 I look at him and go, remember when they stole DVD players? <laughs> fuck they weren't stealing dvd players matt they were stealing vcrs in that first film <laughs> yeah, they were selling panasonic tvs which have gone out of production for what yeah and plus yeah. years yeah just think about that i mean this, this series and adam you hit on it when you text us earlier today there are more fast and furious movies than there are actual star wars movies which we're in the middle of reviewing right now that is baffling to me and 20 years have gone by and all of these people and like i said earlier they're long in the tooth and the the fact that they are still making these and ma- making them as ridiculous as they are is, wow, it's crazy to me. Yep. What's also crazy is that we always talk about how franchises tend to latch off pre-established ideas from other franchises. This one, they took the John Wick route of the multi-million dollar bounty and everyone's out to get them. Bad decision to do that in the same year that John Wick 4 came out, by the way. God, I would have rather been watching that. I do feel like they storyboarded and planned out action scene, action scene, action scene, action scene. They had an overarching view of revenge from five, his son's coming back. And then they really had to find some tenuous connections, how to get every action scene together. But we discussed it. You know, the family breaks up in Rome, and that's everybody in this movie is off doing their own thing. I think Mm -hmm. they're filmed separately. Like, I think... You know, Louis uh, Lutierier, I think he may have been filming some of it. I think the majority of this film is filmed with B unit and C unit. I think it's apparent, you know, when you start to realize, wait, that's right. These people are over here. These people are over here. Those people are over there. You know, the action scenes, I'm going to say it, are fun. I think this film is silly. 
I think once we get, you know, street racing again, I think we start to see some homages to the first few. But it's just, it's planned out of a two-hour action movie, think, speaking of John Wick, and just the connections from scene to scene to scene are written in pencil, or crayon, really. What was highlighted was that we have to find a way to get John Cena back because Peacemaker is popular, because we cut to Mia is babysitting Brian, because she's the aunt. Little B, little Brian, not L- Paul little B. Brian. Uh, I assume... These are the agency people that come to arrest her. Yeah. Supposedly, I assume, too, which is disturbing when you realize that they're killing some of them. Yeah, I assume it's whoever, because a bunch of them are probably on Dante's payroll or working for Jack Reacher's character. But Peacemaker himself, John Cena, shows up. Because remember, he's Jordana Brewster and Vin Diesel's brother. And I I think that's the third (sighs) most unrealistic thing in these movies. Yes. It took, it took me a good 10 to 15 seconds, one, to remember John Cena was in these movies, the movie, really just the last one, and what his connection was. I completely forgot that he was supposed to be done, that somebody looked at, might as well be just Kansas white bread John Cena and Hispanic Dominican. Whatever Vin Diesel is. Yeah, whatever Vin Diesel But to be fair, look at Samoan Jason Momoa. And he's supposed to be the son of Reyes, who's Brazilian. <laughs> yeah, he should be Hobbs's relative. I mean, we're just going random. <laughs> Brown skin means that you're related. <laughs> yeah, but and that's just it like, with this but, franchise. But Jared, it's like Olive Garden. When you're in this franchise, you're family. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just it with this franchise. It just gets off on shoveling piles and piles of dung in your mouth. At what point do you gag? At what point do you just think it's too much? And that's why I, I look at Matt, and that's why I'm really gauging what he's feeling at this point, because they are not going any more ridiculous than they have in the past, and yet Matt is hating it. You also want to know why you forgot John Cena was in the previous movie? Because they gave him a personality transplant in this movie. He's not, yeah, he's a different he's character. Not the same I agree character. With that. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like Mark Wahlberg. He's fun to watch when he's directed well. Here, I feel like a lot of his scenes. This feels like a rejected sequel to Last Action Hero. Last Action Hero, or what was that Fireman movie he did where he was with the kids? I, I don't I don't remember the name of that one, but he is in a whole different movie here, and Adam, you said it. Like, all these people are branched off in their own little plots. His plot is to protect the kid. Yeah. He's doing the pacifier. Yeah. <laughs> Part two, which was a yeah. Diesel movie. Vin Diesel, yeah. But, yeah, it's... I mean, John Cena, when he's playing the straight man, like, he can play funny, and I actually I think he does a good job with it. I think he's, you know, shown that. I agree. But basically, he rolls in here, and it's, I don't know, Uncle Ernest saves family, because let's be, let's be honest, he looks like a jacked-up Ernest. <laughs> well, well, what I was feeling was, when the, when the agency first gets into the house, Mia's in trouble, and then we're seeing agents get blown to, blown to bits, like, right in front of her. I'm thinking that was Brian who did that, but when the reveal is actually John Cena, I'm like, oh, okay. So, <laughs> I was like Adam, I was like, oh, yeah, they brought him back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and again, we're bringing back everybody. Regardless of if we have real estate for you, but if we don't, rest assured, we'll make some. Because now we have another subplot where him and the son or or his nephew are driving to this this rendezvous point, which I thought was going to be on the moon. (laughs) 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 They had established a colony since Ludacris and Tyrese went into space. That's great. But speaking of them, they cut back. Dante has cut off all their funds, so they're broke. Although... This baby laugh Roman's got. 
He's wearing a vest. He's got bundles of $100 bills just strapped to himself. <laughs> Which, by the way, I got I to gotta answer here. Ramsey's with this crew. Because yes. we haven't talked about her once, and she hasn't mattered, including the movie that she was introduced in. But she keeps coming back to be the female Ludacris, because they do the exact same thing. They're both hackers, though Ludacris seems to have forgotten that. Now he just goes back and forth with Tyrese, which is the best part of this movie. But, yeah, let's forget. Let's not forget, Ramsey is there to type some keys, and apparently all it takes to steal billions of dollars is ten keystrokes, and they sucked all their funds away. It's the Skyfall rule, where just because the character's a hacker, they can do whatever the plot needs oh, them to this, this movie is Spectre and Skyfall, and the worst of both put in a frickin' blender. Without the best parts, yeah. Yes. So they realize, all right, we got to go on the black market to buy stuff. <laughs> and I thought of that. That's quite a sentence you just wrote. <laughs> Which is kind of offensive because you got three black people and an Asian. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking uh, Han. Here's a character who should have been dead six films ago. He was. He was. He should have been dead. Yeah. <laughs> Because, again, he's just here because we brought him back and don't know what to do with him. Exactly. Yeah, I forgot he was here at one point. And his big setup, the big thing they were selling his return on is a scene in this movie. Yes, exactly. And we're going to bring Jason Statham back, who didn't have much time to film this because he was filming The Meg (laughs) 2. But he's back here, and this is the guy who killed Han, or supposedly killed Han, and now like we're going to wreck Han again, the fact that Jason Statham is now working for the good guys. Well, he has been since. I know he has, but what I'm saying is that that's the part of this series that is the more you get agitated, the more I just look at it and just kind of throw my arms up like Vin Diesel did in The Rock in that one picture that I just posted on Percolated Media site, where it's just like, okay, I give up. I cannot decipher exactly what you guys are fucking doing right now, but that's what the series gets off on. It gets off on people saying, how fucking stupid is this? Yeah, well, I mean, the stupid thing is giving Pete Davidson any screen time. Oh, God, I was hoping we wouldn't bring him up, but we're going to bring him up during Transformers as well. But yeah, this the, was the, I, this I hate was the most that he's here. scene in the entire movie. Yep. This was the Cardi B scene. And you know what? I would have rather have had Cardi B back than this fucking character. And I hated Cardi B in that last film. This, this just drives, I mean, it puts the emergency brake on. You just crashed into a brick wall because everything stopped. When, I mean, you can't avoid Pete Davidson. There's no... Little cameo. This guy looks as annoying as he does selling frickin' expensive water commercials. Oh, my God. I don't know who he's a friend of. Maybe everybody's probably banging every woman on set. I don't know what the hell. Dude's got a Liam Neeson in his pants going on. But I don't <laughs> understand why you do this, because it just grounded this movie to a halt. Yeah, it really does. And And by the way, this is another DC alum, too. Oh, God damn it! you're right. He was in... Uh, which, which James Gunn had it right. He's the first person you off. That was... The, you know what? The, they did it right, because I was upset at that movie, but the first thing they did is shoot him in the fucking face. Yeah. <laughs> they blow his face clean off. <laughs> but he sells them out. They get tracked because this franchise, for the record, has established a device called God's Eye where you can pinpoint every single person at any given time which is how Brie Larson tracks down Dom to tell Dom that Dante is in Rio de Janeiro because they wanted to do some more location shooting there. But can I say, though, the fact that they introduced this in Part 7 and they keep bringing it back, I like the fact that they keep doing that. Well, that's but there's true. two different devices going on. Like, they're, they're looking for God's eye, but at the same time, they're using this other device, which basically does the same thing to keep tracking yeah. everybody. 
So does God's mm-hmm. eye matter or not? Depends on what version of the Bible you read. <laughs> because let's not forget, I think Vin Diesel is gonna, like Dom is going to stab Dante with that cross he wears on his necklace. <laughs> oh, with how many close-ups they gave of it, I thought for sure that's where they were going. Yeah, no, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think it's got an infinity, infinity stone inside of it. <laughs> this shit ends like Infinity War, but I'm glad that the movie actually stops to have a car race. This is what Lulio Thierry was talking about when he said he wanted to ground this. Like, we're going back to the roots, so we're going to have the chicks with the booty shorts, we're yep. going to have the high amp soundtrack, we're going to have everything that people loved about those few films, and this is what I couldn't stand about it, and I was happy when it changed. Neon, yep. You know, we got neon cars, uh, we got long shots of all the cars driving at the same speed, but they save my favorite thing from the original movies for the climax. It's when they do the interior shot of CG going through the car engine. Yep. Whatever. Yep, people, yep. Whatever people use, NOS. Dante challenges Dom to a race where he says, "If I lose, you can take me in." And this other character, Diego, was in Fast Five, which is the one that gets yep. blown up. And mm-hmm. as we find out, this other racer is Elena's sister, um, Rat Catcher. Yeah. Another person from the Suicide Squad. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And we. This is fucking Jim Carrey's Riddler, where it's you can only save one of them. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Right. We're going back to the Batman He's plots. Yep. Trap. I thought this was a Joker plot, but you're right. It's thriller. Can we also say, because we haven't really mentioned it, that Jason Momoa is using these like magnetic bombs throughout that we basically saw the Winter Soldier show up with in Captain America 2, that he would fire these little like bombs that would bounce off the cement, attach themselves magnetically to a car, and blow them up. And he's got these things throughout, and, uh, you know, kind of cool, but... They get also tiring really quick. They're the proximity mines from Goldeneye. <laughs> They're the magnets from Fast Eight. Well, I'm glad, by the way, there's no fucking magnet bullshit in this movie because oh, they, yeah. they use those in... That's the one thing I remember about Nine is they use magnets as much as they say the word family. <laughs> so Dom crashes into Isabel to get rid of the bomb as the other car goes up in smoke. Uh, Dante wins the race. But nothing happens because of it. Just to have a race. That's the only reason. As you said, though, I like that we decided we were going to have a flat-out street race. And it wasn't even like four, five, and six where we were doing, you know, suddenly doing Grand Prix. No, this was just straight, flat track, definitely longer than a quarter mile. But this felt like, you know, Leterrier was like, I'm going to give an homage to the first one. You know, that we're, we're on the line. We got the girl in the booty shorts dropping the flag. It really felt like we were back to that first Fast and the Furious for at least a moment. And for those that have been with this series for 20 years, I think it's nice to at least acknowledge and call that out before then it, as you say, turns back into a Batman plot. But Adam, before Matt goes on with the plot here, Adam, are you saying, as somebody who has not was not with this series when me and Matt originally did it, are you saying you like that, that the fact that they did this? Do, oh, are you like, oh, yeah. Are you liking that they're paying homage to that? Oh, okay. big, big time. I liked when they showed up in, in Brazil. I liked that we got the homage back to, you know, the two gangs kind of like, you know, facing off with guns. Okay. Like we did a couple movies ago um, when it was The Rock and Vin Diesel basically just inverting what we had there. I, mm-hmm. I do. I like this quite a bit. I think it's needed, and I think this is your fan service in a way that this that this film specifically needed to give a little charge, to give a little boost in the tank. Meanwhile, which I feel like we have to say for this movie because everybody's scattered. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> at the... Brie Larson visits Letty in jail to 
to get her up to speed on the plot because she's oh, been gone for the last jail. 30 fucking minutes. This fucking jail. They got fucking black site prisons in Antarctica. But they got this movable wall. It's like, you know what? This is the Transformers. This is like a transforming wall that opens and closes like magic. I mean, Azkaban is easier to get, is harder to get in and out of than this freaking black site. It, holy shit. I want to say for the record that Michelle Rodriguez, I have felt for the past, I would say, 20 years at least since Girl Fight has been running in mud where she plays these action heroine roles. But I don't think this franchise has done her any good besides, I guess, her, her accountant would disagree with me. But I think career wise, you know, while she's making a ton of bank, she hasn't really proven herself. And I watched a movie earlier this year that I kind of wish we were doing Dungeons and Dragons. And I thought everything I liked about her came back to surface in that movie. She's good I thought that. she was extremely extremely likable in that movie so best performance i've seen from her in years mm-hmm. so i was kind of looking forward to seeing what they do with her here i was like i was back on the michelle rodriguez train i'm like okay she does get the highlight of the film and we'll get to it when we get to it but as far as the character goes it's just like man you're going right back to where <laughs> where your bread is buttered i get it you want to pay off that mortgage but god damn i wish you were doing respectable roles again oh my god speaking of you know what we glanced over it speaking of michelle rodriguez because we're getting to it here Am I the only one that noticed earlier that Vin kissed kissed her stomach and made a comment about is okay. is something in there? Are we ha- yes? Is she because if she's pregnant and she's having a big old fight, I got an issue. <laughs> Don't forget, they have to birth a franchise. They have to birth a whole extra part of this franchise. So yeah, I do think there is a baby in there. Okay, yeah. uh, Matt, do you agree with that? Reluctantly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, given that her and Shirley's Theron beat the shit out of each other, and it's actually the best see- fight scene in the movie. Yeah, um, agreed. Because Shirley's Theron, these two actually do their own stunt work, yeah. for the most part. Which is the one thing, you know, the better fist fights are the ones where, like Jason Statham, the camera can stand still because he can actually move. It's not like The Rock, where they just put the camera down because he's so big he can't fucking do anything. Yeah, he's a fucking building in those movies. I'm going to yeah. say, this is also... And it's where I appreciate Vin Diesel as a producer, and I'm going to say, you know, kind of in charge of all these, is you have women actresses getting up in age, and he's not casting them aside. He's still placing them dead center in his films. And most franchises don't do that once you're at an age of Michelle Rodriguez or Charlize Theron. Oscars are not. And I appreciate that he's like, the family. That they're still going to show up and be a big part of these. Two scenes after showing a ton of booty shorts. <laughs> Still fast and furious. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they, they fight, come to a standstill because they realize that they, they can't leave without each other. So their subplot is that movie Escape Plan with Schwarzenegger and Stallone. <laughs> yes. The line right that's given is one that I appreciate. It's, we got, you know, we got to get out, blah, 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 blah. How much time do we have? Four minutes. Okay. <laughs> and they're going to fight. I like yeah. that it's not all is forgiven. I've, we've mentioned it. I hate, 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 hate that these villains who have murdered people in the family are allowed to be brought into the family fold. That goes with the Shaw family, and it goes mm-hmm. with Charlize here. I resent it, and I rebel against it. For Michelle Rodriguez, and at the beginning of this movie when she shows up, that they're not welcoming and that Letty is going to beat the living shit out. Well, it goes back and forth in an amazing scene, like Matt said. I like that she's not just welcomed in. And, and yeah, this scene is well-directed. It's 
the choreography is great, the fighting is fantastic, and I like the way that it's kicked off when it's, hey, we need to escape, but we have four minutes before we have to do so, so I'm going to beat the shit out of you first. Yeah, this is the best scene of the movie for me, by far. And I, I'm with you, Adam. They do give these actresses these fight scenes, and they give Michelle Rodriguez these scenes mostly. And they, she had one with Ronda Rousey a few, oh. a couple movies ago oh, yeah. that was just that terrible. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. It was it was terrible. And I was not looking forward to seeing what they do here. But the fact that they have this Oscar-winning actress fighting her in this scene, and kudos to Charlize, too, because she's no spring chicken either. And they're going at it the way they're going at it here. I, I, I really... And I'm not a fan of cat fight scenes in film. Two chicks go at it. It doesn't really do much for me. But this scene, this scene got me. I, I enjoyed this a lot. And I gotta say, I think you and I have both crushed on Charlize since we watched Two yes. Days in the Valley. Two Days in the Valley. Yep, <laughs> like I had the poster on my wall. Five years ago. So yep. that she is Mm-hmm. still able to do what she does is fantastic yeah and this and i just rewatched monster about a month ago and I, I remember just how good of an actress she can be as well yeah and go back to i, I think we covered charlie's when we did uh, when we did fast eight I, I went over basically her life story and if you want to get into some deep deep shit dig into her background because she has led, led a hell of a life yeah the fact that she has emerged from that and become as powerful as she is in Hollywood is quite a feat. And I like the fact that she is an Oscar-winning actress. I like the fact that she's a successful actress. And I like the fact that she's doing these scenes and she's doing them well. Yeah, very successful Academy Award-winning mm-hmm. African-American yep. actress. <laughs> she's from South, South Africa, people. She's from South Africa. <laughs> now we're just waiting for Marvel to suck her up. They have to recast Kang. They might as well. Oh shit! No, I was saying she's already. Uh, she was in the Doctor Strange post-credit scene. Oh, that's right. She is in. What she was? Yeah, yeah she's in. Clea. Clea. She's Doctor oh. Strange's wife in the comics. Yep. Because you know Marvel's also about family now too. <laughs> Marvel's trying to stay relevant. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. Nobody I don't know. dies. Nobody dies in those movies either. <laughs> All right. So. As they realize that they still need weapons of some kind, Han takes them to where Jason Statham is, which was the post credit scene of Nine. They fight yeah. for 10 seconds, get interrupted, and then Jason Statham leaves the movie. <laughs> to go film Meg 2. <laughs> this, uh, this is another one where if you pay attention to how it is, I don't think Jason Statham has ever shown in frame where it's not an obvious cut and paste with anybody else that's in this movie. Maybe. But I kind of liked the way they handled this. I mean, this was the tease at the end of the last film. And, uh, you know, it's not given too much weight. But the fact that there's a guy in this in this heavy bag and we're, we're following him for a few minutes and it's just some guy in a whitey, some whitey tidies and leaves the film, I, I thought that was kind of fun. It's funny, but I don't understand why. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a Michael Bay thing. It, it, you know, we're throwing it in to throw it in, but I, I found it amusing. I like Statham in the Transporter movies. I don't feel he's ever fit in here with the crew. And I think the damage that, as, as I said with Charlize, I think the damage that he's done to the members of the crew is inexcusable. But when Han sh- shows up and it's apparent they're going to fight, what do I care? I mean, he's yeah. part. Shaw is part of the crew. Han's part of the crew. This isn't going to go anyway. It's like the barbecue at the beginning. It's all chicken. There is no stakes to be at. Oh, nice. That's a good one. <laughs> Is it part of the film though? Because he he's only on their team in eight because they need him from information. Yeah, guess, that's the know, only reason. Maybe I feel that because Helen Marin brought in, so because Mama Shaw is there, I 
I don't know. But he did save his baby, so I guess that makes him okay. Yeah, it's just, and of course he's. I mean, though I wish that that Louis had shot this. I wish we got a callback to the transporter and the way that those action scenes were done because those were so freaking fun. And Statham was at the top of his game with the well, with those two, and then that's been it. Um, but it's it, it's fun. I mean, it's you know plays on Han and Shaw and their rivalry, quote-unquote, if you remember that that even happened at this point 15 years ago. Yeah. Or I guess Han was killed in three, and we find out that Shaw did it in six. six? The post-credit scene of six. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's redeemed in seven. And eight. No, no, he's not redeemed He's not redeemed in seven because he's the villain in seven. Oh, he's the villain in seven because his brother in six, then he's redeemed in eight, where Charlize is the villain in eight, but then redeemed in nine. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you remember, he wasn't in nine because him and The Rock went solo. Yeah, that worked out. <laughs> I think I think we'll get to the... Shaw made more money than nine did. Damn, wow. I mean, it helps that that was pre-pandemic. True. But, but yeah, it's just they should have called this movie Fast X Contract Negotiations because <laughs> the amount of people just that, that come and go like it's it's New York traffic like it never stops and you want to get your check and move along because there's so many spots to take care of. And I will, you know what? I'm going to give it a little bit of an out. I don't know how much of this was filmed over the last two to two and a half years. So maybe some of the filming had to be very limited for certain people. You know, I mean, we still did have a lot of production restrictions, you know, in regards to COVID, especially overseas. But yeah, it just feels like everything is segmented. Well, I'm sure some of this might've been shot right after nine wrapped. Mm-hmm. So, you know how, I've said this on previous episodes with the, the Fast Fierce reviews, how at their worst, these movies are glorified telemundos or uh, Spanish soap operas. That's what you get with Dom and Isabel in their apartment, uh, where they talk about the sister and stuff. It's I've seen kumquats with more emotion than Vin Diesel. It's so bad. It's terrible. I don't think he cares. Like, I don't think he, he wants to take an acting class. I don't think he wants to. It's, it's the Stallone factor where he just wants to be the monotone guy who goes through the series and wants to be the sheer presence, and there's no presence. Like, he, he is just as bad, as you said at the beginning of this, Matt, as bad as ever in this movie. Go ahead, Adam. I'm sorry. I, no, I, I think it's what he wants for that character. I think he wants a godfather sitting up there. I think he wants... I think he wants Riddick of not saying much and just, you know, walking through. And it's sad because I do think Vin Diesel has acting talent. I think he can be a good actor when he chooses to do so. I think there's been a number of movies that have shown that. I don't think that's what he's going for in this. And part of it, I think, is him trying to let everybody else do their thing. Part of it is I, what I just said. I think he's trying to be, he's trying to be a rock sitting up there just letting everything happen around. Adam, what did we talk about the first half hour of this podcast? He doesn't like being upstaged by anybody. He doesn't like anybody being better than him. So the fact that everybody is, is why he is still trying his best to be as bad as he can be in this movie. And by this point, I am completely checked out of the movie. Whatever Jason Momoa is not here, I don't care. He does weave in and out. I do think this well, is, he, is, like is there, he's, he's got Statham syndrome. Yeah. There's so much other stuff going on that he's he's not in it enough. Like I've I've picked at him here, but yeah, there's times where you're like, oh man, can he please come back into this? Dom gets arrested after leaving the sister by Jack Reacher, 
I refuse to call these new characters by their actual names because <laughs> no. he's, he's, he's Reacher. And then they're ambushed on the highway. Brie Larson shows up. She gets shot. But remember, everyone's everyone can survive anything in these movies. So they just say, you're going to be yeah. okay. She got Dom's blessing. Instead of being baptized, he throws a invisible shield around you where you cannot be hurt for the rest of this series. <laughs> Everybody is shot with a sniper, with a high-powered sniper yes. rifle. And she's not wearing armor. No, I mean, I will at least say hers is clearly a shoulder and a through and through, but even when everybody else gets shot dead chest with a vet, like that rifle pierces a vest. Again, the action is perfectly serviceable, but it's nothing spectacular. Like, it's, it's comic not, booky. Yeah, it's not Mission Impossible, though, where it seems to get better with every movie. I still find it funny, Matt, that you are picking this nit of this movie when this has been the problem with it since the beginning. This has happened every single film, and this is your breaking point. No, my breaking point's already happened, and and this is far more extravagant than anything you would get in the first movie. So I, I push back and get your comment that this has been this franchise all along. Okay, since four. I'd have to think. <laughs> so yeah, Brie Larson gets taken to a hospital, and Reacher agrees to help Dom. Everyone is told, here's where they're going. We then cut to John Cena and the kid walking through the airport. They get on a plane. Some guys attack them. And there's a fucking jet in the... I guess Q showed up, did his briefing. <laughs> I, I was wondering what this thing was going to be. I thought it was a rocket or a missile. But when it was covered on the top of his Mustang, as he called out, it's a 5.0. There was no doubt that thing was going to come into play in a couple scenes. The fact that this thing is a gun is amazing to me. I love that. <laughs> it, it's the bat wing. He literally dropped yeah. the bat wing into this plane. Uh -huh. This is Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, you know, deciding that he's going to do that, that, you know, halo jump. Mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's funny that he, he's got decent rapport with the kid. I'm glad it's not the fear of heights. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. And when it drops out, I'm laughing. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like woo, oh, they're going. This is Roger Moore. This is no, uh, mm -hmm. this is Moonraker. Now this is Daniel Craig because No Time to Die. There's this exact plane. It, that's true. I gotta say, up until this point, I have the one plot point that I was just checked out of was the John Cena little B. I just don't like the way he was interacting with this kid. I, I didn't find those scenes entertaining. I didn't find the jokes entertaining. I thought it kind of dragged the movie down. But when when I see this, it's like, okay, I'm back. I'm back in with Cena's character. Whatever that character is, we don't know who, what the fuck he is at this point because he's different than, like we said, previous film. But I, I find from this point on, it, it's kind of fun. If you can get past the fact that this is not the same character from the previous movie. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But again, who who cares about plots? Who cares about it's an improvement, subjectivity? Though. That's the thing. It is it is an improvement. Yeah. It's debatable. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we've been doing for two hours. <laughs> so they land the plane. Dom is coming. Phrasing. Dom is driving the car <laughs> to the rendezvous point. Dante. Can you say that again? I, I totally stepped on with my laugh. Go ahead. Uh, so everyone is heading towards the rendezvous point. Ludacris and company, Tej, they got a plane somehow. I don't even remember how they got on a plane. <laughs> I don't know. There's, there is another full movie cut out of this movie. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Jack Reacher's got his own plane. Dom is driving to them. John Cena, uh, Jacob, and Little B get in this car and start dropping bombs. Like, this, this shit's fucking... These cars are straight out of Mad Max. For, for those... Yeah, that's what I thought of, too. When know. they when he pulled off this car and showed what it was going to do, for those that remember the video game Twisted Metal, that's what... Oh, my God. Especially yes. because it pulled out into the desert, you know, into this mm-hmm. field, and it's all just dirt, and they start blowing up cars. I'm like, okay. This this is why I think they drew up certain action scenes and crafted a story around it. Because I gotta say, when it starts dropping these bombs, I'm like, woo! All right, you know, it's a good time. I was like, okay, this is pretty cool, especially with, you know, and you know, your eight year old kid killing yep. off mercenaries, you know, I I endorse that completely. This is the cool uncle all of a sudden. <laughs> Let's go blow some bad guys up. Yeah, this I thought was actually pretty cool. It's chaotic Mass murder on the interstate, which this franchise has done better than anybody. Like, especially in six with that fucking tank. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, look, number five, they drove a safe, and you know damn good and well they killed hundreds of people with that safe. Not that you would know. But all things being as they are, I resisted this fake out with John Cena dying because I know damn good and well he is coming back. Because you think so? It's the rule. Nobody, I don't believe it. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's dead. I think they're going to make a, this a complete sacrifice. I don't trust. I don't think they're going to bring him back. I don't trust them to do that because they brought everybody back. This budget is out of fucking control. They got to start disbanding the actors here. I, I think he's dead. I don't think they'll bring him back. I think Jacob is coming back. I think Elena is coming back with a bullet in her head and she's mind controlled. Um, <laughs> because think about it, the camera pans when Charlize shot her. We don't see a body. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, being that this is a Marvel movie where nobody dies, I have no doubt that he's coming back. And it's a shame because these deaths should mean something, and I think it would give some some impetus and some 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 heart to the family. And because it's a it's a joke at this point, it doesn't resonate anymore. And it's also a character that we were introduced to in the last movie. And he was the villain of the last movie. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden, this complete 180. It's like wrestling sometimes, not just because it's John Cena. God damn it. But, <laughs> you know, this is the problem with doing, you know, babyface turns so quickly is that it, it doesn't mean anything. The, the other problem is everyone else is in a different part of the story. So this could not have been anyone else unless they killed the kid, which I would have, my jaw would have hit the floor if they actually had the balls to do that. Garrett would have been a fan of that one. <laughs> uh, like this, I would call this the best movie of the franchise if they did that. <laughs> Again, this is the future of the franchise. They're not going to fucking do that. So Dante grabs Little B, which also sounds you know that sounds like a different. Movie. <laughs> so did Mia. So two things happen: we get the the turn with Jack Reacher, which everybody yep. you know, Stevie Wonder could have seen that coming. You didn't know it was me, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> If I wasn't doing the plot summary of this, I would do my Vince McMahon impression, but I'm tired. I think this movie has hurt, hurt my brain. The plane that is carrying the B-team gets shot down. Not that they're fucking dead, because of course not. Oh, wow, they killed half <laughs> nope. the stars of this movie. No way. <laughs> More than half. It's everyone except for Dom and Letty. <laughs> And I want to say, too, for the last leg of this film, I think the special effects of this up to this point have been pretty good. 
In fact, I think they've been almost flawless. Even the scene that you guys hate, the rolling ball scene. I thought that the Raiders of Lost Ark ripoff. Uh, I thought the, the effects in that were awesome. I think the effects in the final leg of this are atrocious. The CGI is bad. We're going to see Dom getting chased by this missile that is just terrible, terrible compositing. I don't know if they ran out of money in that special effects budget, but this just gets really bad really quick with these effects. I agree. I think a lot of it is solid. And you know what? Yeah, this is really where they show that they're a Marvel movie by the end of this because the effects house decides to turn into substandard work. Yeah, it's especially late towards the end when he drives down the fucking dam. Oh, it, like, God. Yeah, yeah, that's where, yeah, <laughs> it's it's glaring at that point. I mean, You're like, right. I mean, this movie has the graphical capacity of at points of Crazy Taxi, especially when you look at the <laughs> people keep getting picked up and dropped off within 30 seconds. So Dante has rigged <laughs> this fucking Joker death trap with the two semi-trailers coming at him. Oh, my yep. God. Which, I, I just want to point out. Head back to this movie, we're so dumb, I almost couldn't even believe it. It is such a big deal that Jason Momoa can remote control things throughout the course of this movie. In previous films, that's what Tej and Ramsey did as well. And they completely don't have them doing, like, a remote off. Like, there should be a battle bot scene in this movie where it's just remote control cars looking, going out. Oh, you guys would have hated that. You guys would have hated that. This is a fucking villain who's coming out, pulling out all the stops to get back. Now, the fact that he's going all this way to get revenge on this one dude is pretty remarkable for me. But the theme of this movie, we haven't even touched on this. And, yeah, there is a theme with this screenwriting. <laughs> the theme is fatherhood. Father the theme is Father and sons, exactly. And this is his revenge. This is the way he's getting revenge. And you know what? Again, I have not batted an eye at any of the quote-unquote ridiculousness of it. So when he busts this out, it's like, okay, up the stakes even more. Even though there are no stakes in this, but let's see what they can pull off with this. I did not bat an eye at this. I was not expecting to see giant bombs attached to the side of a dam. <laughs> I don't know how Exactly. You, I don't know how you get yeah. away with placing those and nobody realizes what's going on. <laughs> but speaking of calling back to shit, they do the thing where they, they zoom through the car engine and he activates the yep. so we can outrun the bombs. Yep. But the dam the dam still explodes. Damn it. <laughs> And we don't know the fate of Dom and Little B, because that is not the last scene of the movie. No. I got to say, because it can't be understated, they drive down a dam. Yep. They they go off perpendicular, somehow land at an angle that they drive. The physics for the... I'm glad they call out physics and that they call out... You know what? Fuck it. I'll save it for my... And summation, but they drive down a damn dam. Yep. <sighs> well, <laughs> I'm pretty good about not saying stuff in the theater of, of being that guy because I don't. I keep my emotions pretty close to the chest. Mm-hmm. But this is the theater story I wanted to tell. They cut back to Antarctica. All right. You see Lenny oh, and shit. leaving the black site. You see a submarine come up. I can't believe they brought back the submarine. That's what you can't believe they brought back? That's from eight. In this scene? That's, oh, okay. You know what? Every cameo in this fucking movie got spoiled by the actors and actresses themselves posting it freaking two days before the movie came out. Like it's fucking Superman showing up in Black Adam. 
So there were no surprises to be had. So, yes, the submarine was my big takeaway. God. So you see someone pop up from the top of the submarine. Hand to God, I knew the second cameo. Mm-hmm. I had no idea, but I turned to Alex and I said, if this is Gal Gadot, I will audibly yell, fuck this in the theater. <laughs> and they zoom in on her face and I yelled, oh, for fuck's sake. I, I yelled it. Because it just reinforces that death means nothing. And the no, Matt. Did, it reinforces that Wonder Woman 3 is not happening. <laughs> that is what this reinforces. Oh, <laughs> That's the only reason. And according to the guy who plays Han, I can't remember the guy's name. Oh, but he, yeah, he had a whole campaign that said, bring back Giselle. He did. Which, I, for the life of me, I'm a, I'm on Twitter. I didn't see any of this. And Louis Letier did say, we plan on bringing her back again. It's the ridiculousness of it. That's what that's what this series is. So again, I didn't bat any any eye whatsoever. Even at the submarine coming up, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Did they blow that thing up? I don't remember. I don't. I'm not intending on rewatching that movie. But fuck it. <laughs> the, the, the submarine cracked me up because that was to me that is the demarcation line in this series is Antarctica previously or the submarine previously. Them coming up out of the ground in Antarctica pop me huge because the end of one of the Resident Evil films, Michelle Rodriguez and Mila Jovovich are fighting on top of a bunker in freaking Antarctica. <laughs> um, That's but not yeah. the guys you want to compare this to. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wish I didn't know about this cameo, and I wish that on the Thursday that this movie came out, Gal Gadot hadn't tweeted out, happy to return to hashtag family. But I also think that she filmed this in the exact same green screen freaking drape hanging behind her that she filmed her cameo for Shazam. It's just, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think that Han was blown up and brought back, so I don't think there's anybody that can't come back. Yeah, and she was knocked off a plane at a high speed, hit the runway, and should have been yeah. splattered. But Luke, we're going to find out Luke Evans was speeding in a car behind that plane spun the car around and caught her in yes. the passenger seat. <laughs> yeah, because Luke Evans came back. Why can't she? Because uh, that's a fair point, I guess. But I mean, <laughs> but, but her death is what gave Han agency, and that's where I resent some of these choices. Yeah, he said, I'm going to Tokyo because I need to get over this shit. Yep. Which, I don't know why, because I've seen her acting. I don't think her dating profile would be as interesting. Look, I'm sorry. Like, you know, she makes Vin Diesel look like a phenomenal actor. I'm going to save it for when we get to Wonder Woman, but I'm not going to already made it. it known because we've talked about... Uh, we did. But go back and listen I'm to those gonna... Fast and Furious shows. I do go on about her acting in those. Yeah. I, but yeah, I'm not excited. <sighs> Speaking of shit that got spoiled... And this really, I knew about. And it really goes to show just money solves all problems. No. Again, it shows that The Rock needs this franchise again. Well, he did you see Black Adam? <laughs> no, I haven't seen it yet. But Lucky. I, <laughs> as you guys have pointed out, he has not brought franchises up to a whole new level when he gets involved in them and he was adamant for years i will never return to that franchise after hobbs and shaw came out i will never return to that franchise i will never work with vin diesel here he is because 
as you said, Matt, he needs it. And his career is not going the trajectory he was hoping for, so he has returned. And I knew before that mask even came off who this fucking was. Well, yeah, and he's built like a brick shit house. Yeah, exactly. What exactly are they bringing him back for? Like, where 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 is where is his clock going? What... <laughs> well, they're they're gonna team him up with Shaw again. That'll be, oh, okay. that'll be one of the subplots because okay, they okay. need to find a way. I bet he said I'll come back, but I can't be in the same scene as Vin Diesel. You know what? That's what it's oh, I guarantee be. there are prohibitions in that. Contract. They already got Helen Mirren Shaw captured. Shaw's gonna go to Hobbs to let's go rescue my mama. Yeah, that's what it'd be. And some, because and somehow, we, because we saved we saved your family and Hobbs and Shaw. Now we gotta go save mine. Yep. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, The Rock has not just ruined his own career, you know, at this point. His freaking ex-wife manager has people leaving and firing her because of what she did to Henry Cavill. So, yeah, I mean, his, yeah. his hubris knew no bounds until it started costing other people their career and their money as well. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a guy who proudly, like, posted an image of him walking out of a WB meeting saying that they weren't meeting his social media contract for what he wanted to promote something. I mean, this guy's head is so far up his ass because he thinks because he tweets out some fucking tequila, he's going to open a movie to a a hundred million. And uh, I think reality's finally starting to crash down on him. Speaking of crashing down, let's give our final thoughts on this uh, what Martin Scorsese would would refer to as cinema. (laughs) (laughs) This might be Nolan's favorite movie of the year besides his own, if you listen to his interviews. <laughs> I'm so resentful that that's not going to have a WB logo in front of it. <sighs> Scale of 1 to 10. Garrett, what do you give Fast X? You're going to me first, huh? I can only choose between one of you. <laughs> I cannot believe, out of the three of us, I think I'm going to give them a positive review of this movie. I, I guess I've become numb to it. At this point, boys, I I guess the the fact that this culture that these movies have gone so far off the rails to the point where it went in space last time, I think the direction here is very good. Yes, he Louis Lutier is a director for hire. I get that he was probably hired because he could be pushed around by Vin, and James Wan was not going to succumb to that. But I liked his action scenes. I really dug the Charlie Theron Michelle Rodriguez fight and you know what this plot you're not here for plots people aren't coming to these for plots people are here for some big high octane action and you get it here you're going to get the grounding you're going to get a race that you loved from that first film but you're also going to get some pretty insane action scenes most of which I really went with the CGI shoddy the the bringing back of the bad guys just to work for the good guys is just something that it's a trope that they're going to keep going over and over and over again. And I would lie if I didn't say that I could deal with less of these actors, but in the end I am going to go seven. I think this is a very enjoyable film. And for people who want a pretty decent action film to start off the summer, you could definitely do worse than this seven out of 10 for uh, fast 10. It's already starting off a drop in the mic. Day that Adam, uh, Garrett gave Fast and Furious movie a seven. I don't think we've seen that since the seventh one. Uh, Adam, what say you? I say uh, uh, no. You know what? I haven't been on the series, so so that y'all know how I stand. I enjoy some of these movies and I resent some of these movies. Not resent, but don't have fun. You know, the first Fast and the Furious is the Point Break ripoff, like to the letter. But I have a good time with it. 
where I vary from most, I think Too Fast, Too Furious is extremely enjoyable. And That is a fucking hot take and a half, dude. I, I still find it hard to believe that the villain of that movie is freaking ripped from Yellowstone, because I don't see how that... <laughs> yeah, it does not feel like the same person whatsoever. But I like Too Fast, Too Furious quite a bit. And never saw Tokyo Drift, but four, five, six. These movies, much like Mission Impossible, kind of swerved, took a different direction, and refound their footing. However, they lost it the last couple movies. Um, I think Nine is just a flaming pile of space junk. Um, I, I, I resented watching that movie, and I didn't have to. I had to watch this one. And somebody owes me $30 for tickets and popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) However, I think that this movie decided, as outlandish as this movie is, it did decide it was going to come back down to reality a little bit. And that seems amazing to say if you were to print that out. Um, But I do like a lot of the performances quite a bit, though they're scattershot throughout. Um, I like Tyrese and Ludacris every time that they're together. I want to see a spinoff with those two. I don't need Statham and The Rock. Give me Roman and Tej on Roman Holiday. I will watch that spinoff before I watch any others. Uh, the rest of the characters that are brought in, I mentioned it, Ramsey, she's there and does absolutely nothing. But the main core that have been there from the beginning, Michelle Rodriguez, uh, finally gets a little more to do on it, it's a, one day he'll be more than a background character in some of these. Uh, I like the addition of Brie Larson. I enjoyed her character. Uh, I liked Alan Richson's look. I thought he brought just a, you know, he brings a physical presence as much as he brings no acting presence whatsoever on screen. It, this movie is built around five, six action pieces over the span of two hours, and they wove a story to tie it together. And in between those action scenes, you can falter a little bit, no problem, reach into your popcorn, go take a leak. But the action scenes are fun. They're engaging. Jason Momoa, and I criticized him at the beginning because I do wish he would have done a little more with the character. Like I said, I don't think acting effeminate is a character, but I do think that he brought something different from a villain standpoint, and I was happy to see that. I had a fun time watching this movie. I'm going to pick apart this movie because it's what we do. This movie is stupid. This movie is inconsistent. This movie makes no logical sense whatsoever. You know what? Neither does Endgame. Neither does a lot of movies in the Marvel Universe. And that's what this series has now become. This is a comic book franchise. Period. Nobody dies. Everybody fights. Nobody dies. Um, it's, but it's fun. It's engaging. I don't think it can go on much longer with the cast that they have, but if they put more movies like this out, as opposed to nine, as opposed to eight, I'd be there in a theater to watch it. And I'd be happy to do so. Like the music, like the street racing, the fights were kinetic and engaging. The effects work for the most part was good up until the very end. So, I mean, it's a movie that's absolutely worth watching, and I would recommend going to see it in the theater. I think this is going to be the biggest blown-away thing that Garrett's going to have since the bomb at the Vatican, but I'm giving it the same score. I'm giving it a 7. I've, I've nitpicked this movie apart, but when I'm watching this film, I have a fun time watching it, and I'm happy to have done so. 
Wow. Two sevens, Goudreau. All right, fan of the series. What do you got? Uh, my check engine light is on. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I yeah. Just think this franchise has kind of gotten away from what endeared me to it in the first place. But that happens with almost every franchise that goes on for this long without a full-on reboot. Five kind of is that, but not really. Uh, I'm kind of hoping we're nearing the finish line. So much of this movie for me felt like they were just treading, spinning their tires. Yeah, I'm with you. Roman and Taz are funny when they're given funny stuff to say, which is not too often in this movie. And again, ever since Dom has become the unquestioned main character, the magic has sort of evaporated for me. I give Momoa a lot of credit for going like this. Uh, I, this is not what I imagined when he was initially cast. But his character doesn't ultimately come across as the, the end-all, be-all villain that they wanted him to be and are clearly setting him up to be, because I imagine he'll be in the last two or three, depending on how many uh, more we do. But also, the, the lack of danger makes it really hard for me to, you know, be 100% involved in these action scenes anymore. Um, and I, I just can't reiterate how much I hate how they have cheated death so many times that the devil would have carpal tunnel syndrome for making deals with all these people. It's become... Adam's Point, a superhero franchise, but this is turning more into the Snyderverse than the MCU for me, as far as enjoyment. And look, Marvel's not in a good spot for me right now, really, especially with Guardians 3 being the finale for characters that I do actually like, uh, now that I'm probably not going to see them again, I'm a little bummed out with who's left over. The new characters that are here, outside of Momoa, terrible additions. Just because it's like they're trying to offset just how boring Dom is as a main character, and no one is either allowed to be on his level or brings their actual A game. Kurt Russell's absence is sorely missed. I wish Statham was in the movie more, but, you know, the Meg 2, I guess, was his priority. Is this the worst film in the series? No. I, I don't think it is. I still think 8 is worse. I think 9 is worse. But I'm starting to see the. The, the seams are starting to show, and they really got to get a better punch-up writer on these. I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to go five on the Fast and Furious scale. It's it's okay, you know. It is what it is. Didn't make me angry, but I just wish that they would. You know, I I think the the production history on this one, as far as the turmoil and maybe some of the COVID obstacles with people being shot in different scenes, I think Adam's theory is actually very well warranted. There's parts that I do like, but as a whole, I don't think this is going to be one of the entries I go back to a lot. So speaking of, where do we go from here? Well, before before you do that, I, I do want to say... Wait, what was the actual I, number? Five. Oh, okay. okay. Sorry, I thought you made a reference to Fast Five. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this. I'll, I'll give you this much, Matt. The new things here will never outshine the old things. I don't think the series is going to thrive on the nostalgia associated with it for this next at least one, maybe two films. And so I don't think they'll ever outshine, although Momoa came close. Also, I do want to say, I, I think this review has pretty much been my observation in that people who grew up with this franchise and really enjoyed this franchise are not real big fans of this movie. Those who haven't really been endeared to it 
have enjoyed this movie. And that's exactly how this review went. So I, I find this review very interesting in that it fell exactly in that category. Vin Diesel said, this is my just a level of bullshit, I can't believe he said. What gets harder about the films is the work off screen. It's hard to continue mythologies. There's a reason why Tolkien stopped writing after a while. I could not believe it when I read that fucking quote that he compared this to Tolkien. It's... No, this actually makes more sense. <laughs> Sorry. Anybody who wants to know my thoughts on the Lord of the Rings books, there you go. Tune in next year. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to get to him eventually. Ben is one giant ass nerd, and I think that's where that's coming from. As far as what's next, I mean, it all depends on the box office. At the time we're recording this, it has made what? 80 mil? Has it cracked 100 yet? No, I think it's 90 in the U.S. But 90 in the U.S.? But, but globally, it's at about 400. But there's a lot of movies coming out the next couple. Like, every week now, we're starting to get mm-hmm. into it. Yeah, now the yes. summer movie season, like, pre-COVID is back. I mean, we're, only, mm-hmm. we're two weeks from The Flash coming out, and supposedly Stephen King says that's the movie of the summer, even though Boogeyman comes out the week before. <laughs> Did he really? Oh, he loved The Flash, which, wow. go back to my thoughts on Stephen King, everybody. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. In fact, we're going to get there next week, aren't we, Matt? Yeah, that's the next new release we're doing, because I'd rather watch Spider-Verse, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <sighs> I will oh, be. Vin Diesel also said he wanted Robert Downey Jr. to be the villain in the next movie. <laughs> I saw that, yeah. I could see Downey deciding he was going to do I could see him deciding he's going to come play. I think it'd be fun because he hasn't played a villain outside of, I mean, look, Tony Stark. Is big, he is the big MCU villain. Like, people need to realize that. <laughs> you ever seen Natural Born Killers? Oh, I love That's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Oh, I said it's been a while since he played the villain. He's the villain oh, okay. of Disney's accounting department, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> I do think, to, to answer the question, I think we're going to get two movies. I think they're going to film them together but I think they're going to split up filming quite a bit. Like, I think 11 is going to be, I think we're going to have less and less of a team-up movie as opposed to everybody having small scenes across the globe. And I think 13 is going to, or 12 is going to bring everybody together for the mass finale. But I think everybody, I think nobody comes back. I think uh, Luke Evans comes, I think everybody comes back for that one. And they have but confirmed Leterrier is doing the next one, and they're bringing in Christina Hodgson to write the script. Oh, so is there anything oh. she doesn't write right now? <laughs> Oof. She is going to do a Fast and Furious movie? Well, she did a Transformers movie. She did Bumblebee. Yeah, she did. She did the best Transformers movie. Yeah, that's, mm. that's fair. She did I haven't been on that franchise. Okay. I could say that one. She did the best Transformers. But didn't she also do uh, Dial of Destiny? She's- well, she's one of 8,000 writers on that. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. You know, we're reviewing that in a, over a month. Please, please be good. <laughs> please be good. <laughs> I know. Good. But, but yeah, so we're going to we're gonna put the family back in the uh, back in the Corona box and put it in the fridge for a couple years. Uh, what do we got coming out after this? Well, we got a couple new releases. The Boogeyman is the big one because it's just pure coincidence that we did night shift around the same time as another big screen mm-hmm. adaptation is coming out. <sighs> but in the retrospective world, we are doing Indiana Jones. By the time you're listening to this, uh, we'll, we'll have finished the original Star Wars trilogy. 
We're staying on Endor briefly, but after that, we're going to Indiana Jones. Hell, I think we could put the, this family in that same place where they stored the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we'll be doing Caravan of Courage in the Battle for Endor. Because, yeah. God damn it. <laughs> because, Gar- because Gar- blame one-third of this <laughs> I think there's interesting things to cover in those movies. There's a point in George Lucas's life where he become he goes from the innovator to pleasing his kids. And we're going to see the beginnings of that in these movies. And I think there are good points and there are definitely bad points that we'll cover when we get to those films. You might be as broken as Jason Momoa in this film. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. But until next time, when we review another Fast and Furious movie, you made one mistake. You never took my podcast. Thank you, guys. Got that little stardust in your eye, huh? Little birds floating around a little bit. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Join us next week for an entirely new review. Well, that was new. And if you would like to hear Garrett and Matt review the rest of the Fast and Furious saga... Head on over to BingeMedia.net and click the Aftertaste tab. See, now they version, it works cool. But mine, masterpiece. I don't know why you're here, but I really think you're over your head. And if you like this podcast, please head over to percolatedmedia.net or search your podcast stream of choice for some of our blockbuster retrospectives such as Avatar, Top Gun, the films of Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio, Pirates of the Caribbean, and many more. All right, this is number five on our list. Got a whole lot, remember I ain't had nothing. We done sold, I know everybody mad at me. Tell them roll, I know everybody smashing. That was real solid work. And if you would be so kind, please take a moment and give us a positive review and rating on your podcast platform of choice. It truly helps others find and discover our podcasts. We appreciate your help. Thank you so much. Cash in the driver door, spinning, do it my way. Shit like a matador, fresh out the catalog. One far, we all fall, crew like dominoes. They would chase by my nose, saw my dogs riding smoke. Will somebody tell Captain America here that requires clearance.
the Three Men and a Retrospective podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. Read your file. Top of your class at Flexi. Stay ahead of the rest. We just sit back, relax, doing things to impress. This is the only way we know to go. Squad up, never roll alone. And we go. When are you going to give Martin Luther King his car back? As soon as you give Rick James his jacket back. Edited by Garrett. What? You didn't think we'd recognize you? Ain't no way these niggas stopping me. Oh no. Flying from a mile away. It's not a problem, only real ones follow. Hello, and I can do this with my eyes closed. Blindfold, two times over. Ride solo, but I got women and got soldiers. I ain't shipping to try to get it. So nice over. Talking no melatonin. You're ruining my snacks. Voiceovers by Adam. What's your smart ass got to say now? Thank you for seeing us. I won't take up much of your time. The Three Men and a Retrospective podcast is for review and discussion and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. Sound like a whole lot of vaginal activity to me. You have reached your destination. Goodbye. But the amount of stuff we're going to talk about for the next hour, maybe hour plus. I can't believe you're giving a disclaimer before Fast 10. Fast 10 in, folks. Let's talk about They should have called this movie Fast 10 Your Seatbelts, and I'm pissed they did not. You said that in Fast 9, and we we all were laughing at that. <laughs> that was a great... I can't believe they didn't do that, honestly. And here she is just here as a plot device to get Letty and Cypher in the same spot. God, if she is this bad in Captain Marvel, I am not looking forward to doing that movie. Well, you know, sequel, sequel's you coming remember. out later this year. Well, I barely fucking remember it. And that sequel looks terrible, by the way. I, I'm going to say it. Uh, I love Kamal Khan in the TV show, but she gets on my goddamn nerves in that trailer. Yep. I can't believe it. Uh, but speaking of getting on my goddamn nerves, to show that he's crazy... Picked at him here, but yeah, there's times where you're like, oh man, can he please come back into this? Speaking of coming back in, we get... Okay. Uh, another, well, that part's already happened, because remember, these movies are about family. Dom gets, arre- <laughs> Dom gets arrested. Frickin' two days before the movie came out, like it's f- fucking Superman showing up in Black Adam. So there were no surprises to be had. So yes, the submarine was my big takeaway. <laughs> Superman's in Black Adam? God damn Okay, <laughs> alright, move on. So I, I find this review very interesting in that it fell exactly in that category.
The big question. Adam, were you going to add something? No, I'm sorry. No, Adam. Yeah, Adam, it, were you going to add I, something? I, I, I forgot what it was. <laughs> oh, sorry. Nope. <laughs> I think I, they heard that a lot before they said action, too. <laughs> What's my line? Don't worry about it. Just go. Say something. <laughs>